Are you gonna are you gonna say the words, Sean? My hairline <laughs> is like the Soviet <laughs> army, where it's like it's receding. But I like to think that there's like officers that are still where my hair is still standing mm-hmm. that are like executing all of the receding hairs as they try to run away <laughs> from my head. Hi everyone, welcome to Nashville CA. <laughs> Uh, I'm Sean. With me, as always, is my co-host, Josh. Josh, how are you today, bud? I'm pretty good. I'm uh, apparently having a wacky hair day, so that's about the big news. And I'm glad, frankly. I don't want to tell you this, but I have to. Okay. It's kind of giving me emo Spider-Man 3 vibes. Oh, okay. Because it's the comb over down to the one eyebrow. Yeah, because it's normally back more, and here it is. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, the listeners guessing. can see. They, the, the listeners know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and who's that voice? That's our guest this week. Yeah, we have our friend Connie here, and she is going to be talking about Strange Brew and Midnight Run with us. Hi, Connie. How is it going? Good. I am really excited to talk about these buddy movies. Because I have never seen either of these before this week. Uh, have you guys seen these? I know, Connie, you have a long history with Strange Brew. Yes. <laughs> uh, why Why did you attach yourself, and when did you first see this movie? I uh, first saw Strange Brew uh, at a sleepover at a friend's house. Um, she had rented it, and so it was newly on video. And... Uh, I just loved it, so the next time my mom took me and my brother to the video store to rent a movie, I rented it and showed it to my brother, and then we proceeded to want to rent it every single time we went to the video store. And um, <laughs> and this is back in the days where you couldn't just buy movies. They were only available to rent, and my mom kept asking us to please, did we want to rent another movie? So I think every other week we would rent another movie, and then we'd go back to Strange Brew. So I'm sure we purchased it by the time. <laughs> we finally got done renting it, and it became out on cable, and then we just recorded it off the cable and watched it nonstop. <laughs> oh, I bet your mom was thrilled when you guys got your own recording. Yes, and so, yeah, so me and my brother just grew up watching a movie about beer. <laughs> That's what we loved. <laughs> Josh, how about you? Have you seen these movies? Um, I I have a distinct memory of seeing parts of Strange Brew when I was in college. Um, but like so many things, those memories are, are faded and, uh, only half there. So I really, most of this movie was a surprise to me, which was great. Uh, and Midnight Run, I've seen multiple times and I just wanted to ask you why you're unpopular with the Chicago police department. (laughs) It is important. (laughs) Why are you unpopular with the Chicago police department? (laughs) <laughs> he obviously didn't take good notes no he didn't it's a little early <laughs> okay normally i watch these movies like the morning of the podcast i watched both of these uh a week and a half ago so this is gonna be a real test of my memory yeah we did swapsies this time because normally i'm the early bird and sean is watching them like i had three no o'clock idea the of. We, i i i thought you were asking me if I was like, I've never been to Chicago. I don't know. <laughs> I had one warrant out for my arrest, and it was because of Buster, son of a bitch. Oh, and he got away from me 
when I first adopted him in Colorado and he was running down the street and I was chasing after him and some dickhead cop pulled over and gave me an animal at large ticket <gasps> as I'm still trying to get my dog under control, like mm-hmm. this new dog I just adopted. And well, that's helpful. so fuck that asshole. <laughs> and then I didn't pay it. And then I got a letter saying that there's a bench warrant out for my arrest because of my unpaid ticket. It's like, you serious? Okay, so when <laughs> I, I lived in Colorado, I didn't get my plates changed to uh, local plates, and there was a cop that saw me go to work every day, and eventually he pulled me over. He's like, I know you've been here long enough. You need to get update your plates. Um, and so he wrote me a ticket for that, which I also didn't pay. Uh, and then I had to go to court um, because I also had uh, an out-of-state license or driver's license still. And he, the judge was like, this is stupid. Just go do like 20 hours of community service, which I never did. And then I got a letter saying <laughs> there's a warrant <laughs> out for my arrest because I never showed up for my community service. So neither Sean nor I can ever go back to Colorado, I think is what's happening here. I. <laughs> I did not believe in the Colorado bureaucracy. I thought at some point the paper trail would vanish mm-hmm. and it never vanished. I was scared to register to vote for years because <laughs> I thought they were going to track me down and haul my ass back to Colorado Springs. <laughs> I mean, I did. I did pay the ticket once I got a uh, warrant for my arrest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, I was thinking we should talk about Strange Brew first, just because that's the movie I watched first. That I don't know if you guys have a different leaning. That's also what I did. I did not rewatch it, but then I've watched it twice this year. I think <laughs> you're going to be fine. Box. <laughs> and many times before. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Strange Brew is a uh, comedy from 83 directed by Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas. It stars them as well. And it's about two Canadian goofballs who really <laughs> like beer. And that's <laughs> that's about it. And brothers. <laughs> I, Connie, I watched like 15 minutes of this movie. You streamed it, I don't know, six months or a year ago for something. I don't remember. And, um... So I knew, I just, I knew like the gist of what the vibe was going to be, but the way this movie unfolded, I was not prepared for at all. Some of the things that I saw, it's so bonkers and off the wall. So did either of you, have you, either of you watched SCTV where these characters originated from? When I watched this movie, I didn't like, I I don't think I even knew SCTV existed at that point. Okay. I was like 10 years old the first time I watched this. And, um, yeah, so I did not know who the McKenzie brothers were at all. So I just, just went in blind and I just love this. So I was confused at the beginning where they were talking about, like, this was on your comedy album and all that other stuff. And I was like, and that, so I got a hint of like, oh, did these guys come from somewhere else that I just didn't see? And, but I, yeah, I didn't see clips of their stuff until years later. Okay. Yeah, because the whole beginning of the movie is like built around the fact that they have this Wayne's World type show where they talk about, I don't know what they talk about, was, I'm trying to remember, one of those um, 
uh, SCTV sketches, I think, is the the origin of the movie reviews that they would do. And they're like, yeah, she blowed up real good uh, <laughs> whenever they would watch an action movie, which is just something that my mom would say quite often as I was growing up and we would watch uh, Van Damme movies or what have you. So is SCTV a uh, sketch comedy show? Yes. It's Canadian. I I do like um I mean this is a spoiler for clear at the end of it but it, when you start looking up things for strange brew one of the first results uh, on Google uh is could you really put out a fire the way that Bob McKenzie did at the end of the movie <laughs> And I, I feel like inquiring minds need to know this <laughs> Well, I do have a confession that even though I've seen this movie a million times, I couldn't tell you which person's playing which character. To me, they're just Bob and Doug, and I don't know which one's which. I, <laughs> so when I you just said that, fair. I'm like, is it Bob there? I'm like, I don't know, because I'm like, it's Rick Moranis at that point. Suppose that the Rick is Bob and Dave is Doug. <laughs> yes. Does that help? <laughs> I'm going to forget. <laughs> Doug is good with electricity, and he's a genius. Self-proclaimed yes. genius. Yes, use that electricity line quite a bit when we're working on anything. <laughs> uh, the other big hitter in this movie, Max von Sydow. Oh is my in gosh! This movie. What the hell is this guy doing in this movie? I just, I always just think of him as like the most serious actor in the most serious movies. That's the first thing I ever saw him in. So anything I've seen him in after, I'm like, oh, it's Brewmeister Smith. So to me, this was my. <laughs> This is my starting point with him. <laughs> now, for me, I, I think Von Sydow is... It's got to be Exorcist, I think is how I picture him. But just that like gaunt, black-robed figure, and he's so imposing <laughs> and intimidating. So to see him with like a goofy mustache and a comb-over and this being kind of silly was really funny. And, and those big teeth. Whatever that appliance was that he's wearing that seems to fall out during his death scene. Yeah. That's, he... I don't I don't understand so much of what's happening in this movie. It, there's so much happening that makes zero sense to me, but it doesn't matter. I'm just going with it. But his death is one thing where I'm just like, what the hell just happened? The... It's ahead of its time with lasers. Yes, it is. This movie is <laughs> laser it, laser heavy. Uh, yeah, my notes for the beginning was uh, we meet Bob and Doug in the opening. They're oh, doing... well, you're already skipping the lion burping. Y- yes. Mm, yes. <laughs> the best opening to any movie. That's what I think what sold me and my brother on it. We're like, this is a great movie already. <laughs> <laughs> You know what you're getting right off the bat. It sets the tone. But it's a live action cartoon. A a movie that has a faster punchline. I I cannot think of a single movie that has a laugh earlier in in the uh, runtime than this. Yeah, every movie I've seen after with the line, I'm like, it's not burping. It's so sad. So they're showing the MGM lion at the very beginning and it belches. And then it moves, the camera moves to the side and it like, it messes with my head for a second because it's like this weird parallax thing. And you're like, that's not how the MGM logo moves. Uh, And then it, 
shows that it's just a facade with the lion's head poking through it. And Bob and Doug McKenzie are standing behind it and they're yanking on the lion's tail, <laughs> cranking it. Yeah, quick him. He's a little sleepy. You get him to go. <laughs> Take off. It's just so ridiculous. And it's like two Bugs Bunnies in a live action movie all of a sudden. Um, I think Dave does the theme song trumpets yes but he does mouth trumpets uh-huh this is our second mouth trumpet the other one was um prince of darkness right oh yeah yeah, yeah. so i've been working on it you okay ready? yes oh. <laughs> no it's not there i'm still hopefully next time okay hang on how do you do that Oh, I'm not even going to try. <laughs> what? Connie, you're not going to get the mouth trumpet to go? No, oh. no. Oh. <laughs> uh, that, that I love when Moranis goes, this movie's shot in 3B. <laughs> Three beers. And he holds up the two bottles to his eyes. <laughs> There's Quality so content. many, <laughs> so many dumb jokes in this movie. It's, it's not quite on a naked gun pace of jokes per minute but it's it's pretty close um neither of you probably have seen this but uh the movie brother bear the disney movie from like a decade ago or maybe more at this point has the two of these guys playing moose mooses as bob and doug and they do a commentary for the movie in character on the DVD. It's Well, now I have to see this. It's delightful <laughs> and they do they do the same riffing over the uh the credits and the whole the whole spiel as Bob and Doug this, but as Moose. Was this after like Rick Moranis kind of retired from acting and everything? Yeah, I think it was very surprising to like that they got him for it. Nice. So yeah, Rick Moranis, he stepped away what in the late 90s to basically become a family man. Mm-hmm. And I mean, good on him. Um, it seems like he's. I read an interview with him years ago, and it seemed like he was happy with his life and content with that choice. He's coming back, though, right? I think I just saw he's involved in um, some project coming up. I don't recall which, but I, I miss him. Yeah, have you guys seen? Um, not my cousin Vinny, my blue heaven. Yes. Yeah, it's been years, but yeah. Steve Martin. Yes. That's a great one. I love that movie. It's so funny. There's one line in that movie that's always perplexed me. It's uh, at the very beginning, Rick Moranis' wife is leaving him, and she goes, he has a system for everything. And then he goes, I have a system, so the bottom pancake gets the same amount of syrup as the top one. And I've always wanted to know what that system is. <laughs> It's like one of those mysteries of life. I just sit there every time I order pancakes, like, how would Moranis evenly distribute this syrup? This is a life hack that I need. Like, some TikTok influencers need to get on this shit because I need to evenly distribute my pancake toppings. But you know I what I do now? Pancakes this morning. To, to make life easy? <sighs> oh, Connie. You're, you're <laughs> podcasting after pancakes? That's dangerous. You might go into a food coma at any minute. <laughs> pancakes? I love that Mitch Hedberg joke. It's like, yes. <laughs> you're so excited to eat pancakes, and then you eat one bite of them, and you're like, I'm fucking sick of these. Or 
I butchered that joke, but instead of making a stack of pancakes, I now just make one gigantic pancake for myself that's the size of the skillet, and that way, even syrup distribution. <laughs> it's hard to flip, though. Many catastrophes <laughs> have happened trying to flip a pancake that's three times the size of the spatula I'm using. <laughs> Okay, Sean, you should be into this. Elizabeth does not like flipping the pancakes and the whole rigmarole with uh, putting the fat in the pan. She never uses enough fat, so her stuff always sticks. So she makes sheet pancakes and bakes them. And so we have these like delightful, they're a lot fluffier than regular pancakes, but these oven-baked, um, normally with some kind of pumpkin flavoring, pancake-like goodness bars that she makes us. Does she use a pancake batter recipe and then just bakes it? Yes. Huh. But they're fluffier. They come out fluffier than a, than a traditional pancake. I, I feel like that would be good, but I feel like that might then become too much like a cake where I'm not getting the quintessential essence of pancake, which is pan. <laughs> the pan with the saute heat and everything i think adds that texture but that is very curious i might have to try that i was raised on bisquick ice yes. my mom bless her she's a good cook but she was a mom in the 80s and so everything was like weird shortcut products and nothing was from scratch i only had like bisquick pancakes growing up Sometimes people would bring over crusties, just add water. I was really opposed to crusties. <laughs> really opposed. I swear to God, I did not know that you could make pancakes from scratch until I was in my 20s. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I, I didn't understand the concept of, like, buying flour and adding salt, sugar, and baking powder to it, and it's the exact same product. Like, these things, same thing with, like... Brownie mixes. My mom would always get the Ghirardelli brownie mix from Costco. And so, like, everything just came in pre-portioned bags. When I wanted hash browns or, like, morning potatoes, frozen bag of Orida diced mm. potatoes with peppers in them. Like, mm -hmm. everything was just, like, pre-prepped until I was a bachelor in my 20s. And I was like, oh, wait, I can't cook shit. I just know how to heat things up. <laughs> Uh, did you ever have, because we, we were a Bisquick household as well, um, did you ever see it was a uh, a container that was like an accordion that had the powder packed in it, and then you would accordion it up and put the water in and shake the whole thing and like dump your pancakes out of that? I've seen that, but I've never, oh. never used it. Yeah. I I don't trust that. <laughs> <laughs> also I, I i make a thicker pancake batter than most people because hot take i like my pancakes a little bit raw in the middle you get a little bit of that batter still uh -huh. in the middle of the pancake oh perfection uh, i like my cakes crispy on the outside with that outside ring where they get a little bit crunchy that's that's what i enjoy yeah you're not getting that with your oven cake are you no so occasionally i will make pancakes myself in the Ooh, cast iron skillet when elizabeth is out of town and you do it in secret yes or like <laughs> i'm letting her sleep in one morning and taking care of the kids and stuff and like we're having josh pancakes today 
I'm trying to, uh, I was trying to do a riff of the Springsteen secret garden song, secret <laughs> pancakes, but it was not, it was not leveling out in my head. You'll get there eventually. It'll be great. <laughs> so the ridiculous meta levels that this movie happens on, like the opening itself is it's the TV show that they do, but also we're behind the scenes of the TV show. But the whole thing is also the movie we're watching, which is also the movie they're projecting in a theater within the movie <laughs> we're watching. <laughs> like it doesn't make any goddamn sense. And I love it so much. This reminded me a lot of blazing saddles. Yes. Of just this like absurdity of breaking the fourth wall and then seemingly breaking the fifth wall that right. I didn't even know existed. Without ever even bothering to explain it, it just happens because because it, it happens. Mm -hmm. uh, how much would you like to watch the movie that they actually made, like within the movie? Like with it falling apart and they just kept filming it. Yes. <laughs> the with their <laughs> yeah, like how much longer did it go? I think I wondered that as a kid. It's like how much longer is this movie? <laughs> yeah, the their what is it um, twenty one ninety five or whatever it, wherever it happens and. He's got a f flesh heads of the deep or whatever it is, and uh, their flying van, like all that stuff, is stupid and great. Have you seen Be Kind Rewind with yes. Jack Black? Yes. Uh, what do they call it? Sweeting. Uh, oh yeah, sweeting. Yeah, that was this felt like kind of the origin of that. Movie. Mm. <laughs> uh, the whole plot. I like that they sneak in what the actual plot is around all of the other gags. Uh, it's not like something like um, airplane where the, it is the main thrust of it. It's just an excuse to do all the jokes, but the whole plot kicks off when they give a refund to their movie and it's dad's beer money. And so they have to wind up looking for ways to get free beer. And that's the whole like thing. And the repeated use of the mouse in the bottle cracks. Me. How did they get that mouse in that bottle, guys? And is that mouse okay? When, when it's so small, it fits right in. <laughs> <laughs> I. They tell you how. Yeah. <laughs> tell you, the lion scene and the mouse scene both concern me on a humane front. <laughs> I'm hoping that was either a bottle that had no back or like a screw bottom or a screw top somehow. Uh -huh. Like, I, oh, I don't know. But yeah, still harrowing to see a big mouse in a little bottle. <laughs> uh, this is not good. Uh, also, the dog drinking beer, uh, uh -huh. head drinking the beer. That's a little bit upsetting. What's much more upsetting is pouring the beer into the glass afterward. Uh -huh. That's what made me gag. Oh, yes, that was horrible. The, with the chunky bits Ugh. of canned dog food. Yes. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Hosehead gives such a wonderful dog performance. I came up with a, a term that I would talk about at the old bakery I worked at called cinematography. And that's uh, just the level of performance that canines have. The Thing has excellent cinematography. One of the best. <laughs> this one's really good. I love Hosehead. The, sh the scene at the end where they're trying to explain to him what he Give needs to do. Give me the instructions. And yes. the dog just looks slightly concerned, slightly bored, like really confused. 
<laughs> just, Probably looking around for his handler going, look, why, yeah. why do I have to stand here? <laughs> <laughs> Anytime Hosehead snarls, it reminds me of Buster. Buster is still a street dog at heart, and so he'll, like, growl and stuff when he's grumpy, and he never snaps or anything, but he'll just show you, like, when you're annoying him or when he's sleeping and he doesn't want to be bugged. And so it hit just, like, <laughs> live with the dog raising its lips and looking insane at them. It's it's just cracks me up so much. The, um, the guys go to this beer store and it, was this a real style of beer store? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. I went, uh, so when I was, um, in college, we had a friend that was, uh, had she, her, her family was rich. And so we we're in the upper peninsula of Michigan for like a couple weeks in the summer. And we went over the border into Canada because I was 19. Mm-hmm. So we could drink there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we went into a beer store and it was exactly like that. And I lost my mind because I did not think it was real. And I was it just, they had all the beer bottles and cans lined up on the wall and you just went up there and ordered what you want and just came rolling out on the thing. And so, but I was just, I was freaking out in there. And my boyfriend, his friends at the time were just like, would you calm down? And I'm like, it's real. It's the beer store. (laughs) (laughs) I, when I lived in Colorado, we had, there was drive-through liquor stores. The coolest one though was a liquor store slash pizza place that delivered. And so you just call up and get a six pack of beer and pizza to your door. It was amazing. Colorado is very much in the future in a lot of ways. <laughs> the whole, uh, we're trying to get the free beer thing. And then, the the second reveal of the mouse in the bottle, I like to think that he's just carrying that pet mouse around and feeding it like forever. Like that's his whole, his whole thing. Uh, but then I like that the beer clerk is like, no, we're not going to refund your money or give you free beer. You have to go to the brewery. Like, that's logically the next step. You go yes. straight to the head of of the ordeal right there. Yep. Like, don't talk to the manager of the store. Just yes. Just go right to the source. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that Elsinore Brewery is one of your classic gothic breweries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The matte painting is so cool. I love matte paintings. Mm-hmm. And even in this one, it looks so cool how the van is driving towards it. And it's clearly a painting, but I still love the practical application of it. And I still don't quite understand how matte paintings work. Is it? It's a, it's a piece of glass that you put. In f- how does it work, Josh? <laughs> so- <laughs> this, um, I wasn't sure because the, if you look at it, the film grain movement is different on the live element than it is on the painted element, which actually looked like a still frame. So I wasn't sure if it was like a traditional glass matte painting where they would be shot at the same time or a uh, optical effect put in later where they dropped that in on top during one of the, the transfer stages after editing, probably. Um, so I, I, that's actually what it looked like they did, because the grain elements were different. Either way, that sounds really difficult. Oh my god, I did this whole deep dive on, because I wanted to use um, uh, matte paintings and cloud tanks, which we've talked about before, for like music video stuff, and 
there's digital ways to do it that are so much easier. And I know why everybody does it because you need like tons of space and tons of skill, skilled craftsmen to actually be able to pull these things off. And they're stupidly expensive, but that's still a life goal is to shoot like a monster movie with some matte paintings in it. Yeah. I always think of the one in the thing where it's that wide shot that shows mm-hmm. them standing on the edge of the, the crash site, crash site. Yeah. Crash site. Shut up. <laughs> uh, we skipped over Mel Blanc did voices for this movie. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Mel Blanc was the voice of the dad that wants the beer. Just, how did they get Mel Blanc to do? He's a fucking icon. <laughs> Wait. No idea. No, he is um, Father McKenzie. Okay. Not the father. No, because... Um, Rick and Dave play their own parents. Which gotcha. is uh, disturbing. And mm-hmm. <laughs> that's one of the things that I do remember from seeing it before is that shot of the parents making love, sweet, sweet Canadian love with all of their clothes on. And they turn to the camera and it's, yes, <laughs> you need your flannels on. <laughs> it looks cozy, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but you got to worry about flannel on flannel rubbing. You might start a fire. (laughs) I'm just having flashbacks to uh, to northern Indiana winters now. If you might have a tartan child, if you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We also didn't talk about the fact that the brewery shares a driveway with the local um, I don't know mental what we're supposed to mental institution. Thank you. <laughs> the, the more correct term. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm like, most of this movie has surprisingly aged really well. I think, um, there, what are the, did they call it? The booby hatch? Is that what it was? They might. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it shares a driveway with the, the mental institution. Uh, and, which comes into play later. Although I think if I didn't actually look up the description of this afterward, I didn't realize that how they're connected, like they're physically connected through the tunnels that go underneath both places. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, That, Mm -hmm. that does Mm -hmm. make sense. Yeah. I guess they are running from one to the other. (laughs) Yes. Because otherwise, how did the patients get over there? Because they just keep popping up. (laughs) I just was not concerned with those logic, the logistics when I was mm-hmm. <laughs> watching it as a kid. They just appeared there. Like, that's fine. It makes sense. Uh, um, <laughs> so as they're breaking in, at one point, someone says, I, I think someone's in danger of being electrically shocked. And they're like, oh, you're grounded. I still, I understand, like, I can wrap my head around a lot of physics things, but <laughs> electricity and when I'm safe and when I'm not from it, mm-hmm. I will never understand. Electricity makes zero sense to me. I don't understand grounding. I don't, none of it makes sense. So I just don't touch any of it. I think that's probably my best policy. Yeah, that's probably a good one. Yeah, because it was going around her car, but if she opened up the door, she would be, she would be touching. Oh, that's right. She she would get electrocuted. Yeah. So they said, don't open the the door. Yeah. Yes. So it's the gate that's electric. Yeah. It's like has electricity and it's touching her car. And so that's why they have to just ram the car. I, <laughs> believe me, I've tried. I've watched 
YouTube videos about electricity. <laughs> I've read the it's just one of those concepts. It just refuses to stick in my brain no matter what I do. That's I've got a friend who um he he makes uh he builds guitar amps now. And when he was first like building one, I was just in awe of the the wiring harnesses, the custom pieces that he put together going to and from the power supply and everything. And I was like that's scary because those power supplies deal a wallop. Uh, and he was like, Oh no, it's no big deal. If you know what you're doing, it was probably two weeks later that he like blew up half of his workbench <laughs> by connecting something <laughs> wrong. Oh shit. Yeah. Well, he obviously knew what he was doing. Yeah, it was totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love, it comes in later, but when I first saw the gigantic keyboard in front of this security station that they have set up, mm -hmm. I, I didn't think that was coming to come back into play. I just thought that was just weird set design. But still, <laughs> the, the, the idea of using music as a security implementation just delights <laughs> me. <laughs> uh, this is also where we meet Max von Sydow as Brewmeister Smith for the first time. And... I just love it that he's like slumming in this movie. Uh, and I don't even want to consider it that because he is giving a full on performance. Like this is <laughs> as good as anything else this dude did. Uh, uh -huh. And he's fantastic. And he's simultaneously stealing the brewery from Pam, who should be inheriting it and perfecting his mind control drugs <laughs> to slip into the beer. Uh, and doing the tests on the mental patients next door, of which he is also their doctor. <laughs> yep. He was, is multifaceted. Yes. Was he, <laughs> was he also trying to find a way to make beer addictive? Yeah, that was his main thing. Yeah. Okay, well, job done, bud. You did it. <laughs> yeah. He wanted to make it addictive and also to mind control them once they are addicted to it. Right. So that was his just evil. He was, he was pretty much a Bond villain. Yes. <laughs> uh, around this time, we get also Uncle Claude, Pam's uncle, played by Paul Dooley. And I recognize this guy just from Curb Your Enthusiasm. He played Cheryl's dad. And he's in one of my favorite episodes, which was called The Christ Nail, where he's a devout Christian and the passion of the Christ had just come out. So he wears a nail, a Christ nail around his neck. And of course, it ends up stabbing someone in the foot. But uh, he's a really funny, funny guy. And I love seeing random actors like this. He he looks the exact same as he did 30 years later on that show. Some people age so early, it seems, especially back in the 70s and 80s. You get mm -hmm. these people who are like 38 years old. And it's like, you're in your 50s, right? <laughs> It's, I recognized him um, from uh, a season one episode of Mad About You, and we've been watching that as like our, our wind down show. Um, but it's one of the episodes that has stuck with me the longest. It's when you meet Jamie's parents and he's her dad and he's like a classic sitcom dad where he's pretty clueless, but he's actually really sweet underneath. And so to see that he's doing kind of the same shtick here where it's like he's kind of ineffectual even when he's doing bad shit and he's just kind of doddering and seems like he really wants to be helpful mostly. And I <laughs> love that about him. 
I knew him from, well, I guess it's around the same time I would have discovered him in 16 Candles. He's the dad. Mm-hmm. Candles. So just, that's what he is for me first, even before this movie. <laughs> I've never seen it, 16 Candles. It's very problematic. Yeah. But I, I loved it back in the day. I, <laughs> I know what my brother in law used to quote to me. Ooh, and yeah. uh, the quotes from that movie <laughs> yeah, do not hold up well at all. No. <laughs> um, speaking of people not aging well, I've been rewatching <laughs> Seinfeld recently. And even now that I'm 35 years old, I'm essentially the, the age of like Elaine and George. Elaine, they still seem so much older than me somehow. Elaine, maybe I could see, but like, there is no way George Costanza and I are the same age. That's preposterous. Mm-hmm. How is that a thing? Uh, just wait until you get a little bit older and you start contemplating the Brimley Cocoon line. <laughs> what what age is that? Like 53 or something? It's, it's surprisingly early is the thing. Uh that's I follow the the Twitter account that announces when celebrities cross the Brimley cocoon line and they all <laughs> look much younger than Wilford Brimley did. Um, 50 years, nine months and three days is the exact time. So he, so he's only 50 when he makes cocoon. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Which is like what a whole decade. He, looked like younger. he was like 80. Yeah. <laughs> How old is Tom Cruise? And he's hanging off the side of planes and yeah. yeah. Well, he's got that magic. That's oh, dude. <laughs> some preposterous headline, Tom Cruise preparing to like run on the wings of a biplane as it's spiraling towards the ground. And just like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> this world is clearly a simulation because whatever Tom Cruise is, and like all the shady shit that he's involved in, but he's doing like superhero shit like this. Like there's some kind of glitch in the system. <laughs> We're not going to be surprised to how he dies one day. No, <laughs> you think he's going to die? <laughs> Connie, you think Tom Cruise is going to die? <laughs> I don't know. What am I thinking? Um, <laughs> um, somehow, all right, so they get hired at the brewery. Yeah. Right? Somehow they wind up with jobs at the brewery. <laughs> So because doing it's the gone quality all control automated. check. But wait, did we skip past the donut scene where they're bribing the secretary with the donuts? Some time ago, eh? We is away on business. How long ago was it? When'd you die? I beg your pardon. Wait, okay, you know his replacement, eh? Like the new boss? We made the appointment with him, eh? What's his name again? I'm afraid that's private company business. I see. Well, perhaps one of these... Would refresh your memory. Well, the day after he died, his brother Claude married his wife and took over the entire brewery. But there's a daughter. Go, eh? It's my last one. Go, go! It's a jelly. And they go in there and they're trying uh, oh, to find yeah. who they need to talk to to get their free beer. And they give her those donuts that they just have hanging out in their pockets. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> you always I walk know. around with pocket donuts. This it's is very important. <laughs> you posted this gif so many times of just pulling a pocket out and handing the donut. Before I saw this movie, I had no idea what the hell it was. <laughs> 
What's your go-to donut, Connie? I just like uh, chocolate cake donuts. Wait, so that's... The cake-style donut more than the traditional donut. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> Josh, what's yours? Oh, so growing up, we only had cake-style donuts. I didn't know of yeasted donuts until I moved oh, down here and went to Krispy Kreme. Because Do I not know what a cake-style donut is? No, that's what they are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know what those are. And Those are not yeast? Oh, those are... See, I'm a baker. I should understand what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you now. Those cake styles are baking soda, baking powder, regular donuts are yeasted. Gotcha. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. And uh, But Sean, I've virtually taken you on a couple of my adventures, my donut adventures, which happen when I'm left alone for a few days. <laughs> and I go and buy myself a dozen donuts, and that's my meals for <laughs> when I'm but- alone. They're not just they're not just donuts. No. They're like a donut with a slice of maple fritter stuck in the middle of it. And just like <laughs> give me a glazed twist. Don't don't give me these gourmet donuts with all it just give me a glazed twist. It's all I want. So we have probably my favorite place is uh, Five Daughters Bakery, which has hundred layer donuts, which I guess is like a cronut type thing. Yeah. Um, and uh also i'm calling bullshit straight away on that number 100 Uh (laughs) because if you think about the way that laminate uh dough uh, lamination works is that you fold it so you're usually you double 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 or you triple 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 Mm -hmm. your numbers so hitting 100 even hmm I don't know about that. Also, I think it's probably like a 98 or a 116 <laughs> layer. Yeah, because it you have Has to anyone like, counting? Is anyone counting these things? You have to do Who's 33 and a third bakery? folds. Who's watching this bakery? <laughs> uh, That's a QA process. They also, they're extremely expensive for donuts. And every time I have the Vincent Vega and Pulp Fiction reaction of like, they put uh-huh. booze in there? <laughs> like, why the, <laughs> why the fuck are these donuts so expensive? They, show my, they are $4.50 four per donut. Woo! That's, yeah. that's, that's a lot. That's salty for donuts. Those, those are my kind of overheads. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you should see the place. They've got, like, these cute little pop-up places that they do, and everybody loves them, and there's huge lines. And I'm, I think you're missing out on something here, Sean. You need to get in on it. Do you guys, when you see a place that has a long line, are you enticed to go there? Because if I see a place has a long line, I am driven away from it like it's the plague. Um, I'm enticed to go there later. Mm-hmm. I just want to find the good time to go and actually try it out to see if it's worth the hype. Who are these people getting in one hour brunch lines? Oh my god. Do you have places like that out there? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm sure if I left my tiny little town and went out and explored, yes. Okay. Uh, but I lived in San Francisco and they were everywhere. Sunday mornings in San Francisco, people be lined up outside the block at multiple places. Oh yeah. We've got, um, the pancake pantry, which is like the Nashville staple that you're supposed to take everybody to when they come to town. And I've been there once 
and it made me angry because it was like a 90 minute wait for 90 minutes yeah for just like pancakes and everyone's like you have to i'm like i could go to cracker barrel which is also like an hour long wait but at least you have a little (laughs) store to play around in (laughs) (laughs) yeah it used to have really long brunch lines here in portland um but then the when the pandemic happened and the restaurants start opening back up again they finally allowed people to make reservations and so Mm. that's cut down on a lot of that nonsense and i hope it stays 90 minutes for pancakes. (laughs) I remember in San Francisco, there was ramen fest. People would get in a line that was three hours long to Mm. get a bowl of ramen. It's just like, and it it was in the Richmond, which is a neighborhood that is full of noodle and ramen and Asian restaurants. I don't know. We have have, uh, the hot chicken and beer festival, which is uh, just a delightful thing to go to. What is hot? Ch- is hot chicken spicy chicken? Hot chicken is spicy chicken. Um, Nashville hot chicken. It's a it's a specialty. It's a local thing started supposedly at Prince's Chicken here in town, um, which was like the sketchiest place for ages, uh, but it was just so good. And now we have. There's dozens of of hot chicken restaurants here in town. I would highly recommend it, you know, when you finally get here. Either of (laughs) y'all. Okay, you can go back to them getting a job after we've gotten through the donut scene. All right, yes. all right. So, We're on the line. Uh, they're doing quality control. Because you need yeah, some I men love, on the bottling line. That's they, what you got to get them back on there. They immediately pop two bottles open to cheers for being their first day on the job, which was hilarious. The um, uh, I like the double um, top popper mm-hmm. that he uses. Yeah, yeah that was he, cool. Was like, Did he pretty... just have that in his pocket? Yeah, he just pulled it out. They're yeah, ready to go. One pocket has donuts and the other one has a beer opener. Mm-hmm. And the mouse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, is this where we get the, the dinner scene with the Elsinore family? Um, and <laughs> the Kentucky fried chicken, the, the line, the Colonel is dead and here we still are enjoying his chicken. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> It's like such a prominent placement of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Mm-hmm. And how they're all okay. dressed up super fancy and nice for their for, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yes. <laughs> and sitting at this huge dinner table, like like the Batman also, dinner table. It's like that, and then around the same time, Mr. Mom, they have the, we got Kentucky Fried Chicken, and they're like, can we afford that? Because it was not cheap to get Kentucky <laughs> Fried Chicken. <laughs> Are you guys also confused about the Dave Thomas Dave Thomas connection. (laughs) (laughs) No, Dave Dave Thomas was Wendy's, huh? Yes. Yeah. But see, I knew Dave Thomas from this first. And so when we finally learned the founder of Wendy's name, because he wasn't always in the commercials. So he wasn't in when I was a kid. So it was later on that he showed up in the commercials. You just knew you could trust Dave. You know, he just had that look about him with that red tie and that Little smile and the glimmer in his eyes. You knew his square burgers were okay. <laughs> and his failure to pronounce words like Chipotle. Or guacamole. Chipotle? 
Uh, let's see here. We're getting to the synthesizer part, right? With the the first hockey, <laughs> the first hockey fight. Well, the this is we do find out before that because they find the old cafeteria from when there was actually a staff at the brewery, uh, mm-hmm. which the place has like some killer vending machines and video games mm-hmm. in it, which seems very progressive for like the 1980s to have video games mm-hmm. in your, your workplace, your factory yeah. cafe calf. Like that's great. And why you would think that you'd want to purchase any kind of dairy product out of a vending machine that's been turned off for, you don't know how long. <laughs> <laughs> that's an expired four months ago <laughs> like who cares if it's even expired this thing wasn't plugged in uh-huh. <laughs> if you've got pocket donuts i don't think you're really concerned about that uh there's something about they see the their names on the high score and their date of birth mm-hmm. in the game and it's related to the psychiatric ward or whatever i don't know what's going on here and then they, what's the deal they with find the good web? ways to so this is where I think we get like the first shot where we see like that red laser shit going from the outlet into the video game machine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What what's the red stuff in this movie? Exposition. Lasers are exposition. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, when you don't know how to move the story along. Just add lasers. Yeah, it's just it <laughs> helps. And then you have a dead guy come back and literally spell everything out on the wall. Yeah. There you go. Maybe that's why I didn't like Tenet. Just like, needed a couple of lasers and a dead guy at the end to explain everything, and I would have loved it. Uh, Bob drinks the. Ex- I, I, mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're you're going to it. Yes, he drinks the expired chocolate milk, and. Sorry, I ralphed, Pam. You shouldn't have that chocolate milk. I know. Sorry about your sweater. You can take it out of my pay if you want. It's okay. Geez, you're real nice. If I didn't have puke breath, I'd kiss you. Hey, Pam! Uh, he apparently Ralph's all over Pam's sweater. Because... Ralph's? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yep. You're from the Midwest, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not a grocery store. It is, it's a verb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. I'm My dad impressed used to say with that. your West Coast knowledge <laughs> that we have Ralph's grocery stores. Well done, Josh. Uh-huh, thank you. What about who uh, told you? Uh, Big Lebowski. How do you know that secret? Big Lebowski. Uh, of course, at, it's a movie. At the beginning, he oh. is shopping at a Ralph's uh, and buying the half and half for his uh, Caucasians. All mm-hmm. uh, Thanksgiving night after dinner. My family, we normally get pretty drunk in the kitchen, cooking and everything leading up to Thanksgiving dinner, and we eat dinner around 4.30, and then it's usually kind of a shit show, and then we watch Christmas Vacation around 6 or 7 that night. But this year, my aunt and uncle and cousins were there, and they're more devout than my side of the family, and not really drinkers like my side of the family, so everyone was on like their best behavior. And so by the time we got to Christmas vacation, my family was pretty sober, but my brother-in-law always makes a big punch bowl of white Russians. And normally I'm like, I feel so sick at this point that I drink like a half a cup and then it's like, oh, that's terrible. 
Mm-hmm. We were pounding. We finished this punch bowl in the 90 <laughs> minutes that Christmas vacation goes. And it was delicious. <laughs> I drank so much cream and vodka and Kahlua. It was, it should have been disgusting, but somehow it was like a magical night of just like the perfect GI biology going on to just put everything down. And it was wonderful. <laughs> the- uh, a couple weeks back when we did our movie marathon here uh, at my buddy Andrew's house, they made a punch that involved, uh, it was orange juice based and like other fruits and uh, not like a sangria cause it was orangier, um, but it had actual orange juice in it. And this is a two day marathon, right? We programmed a six hour sleep break in the middle because we watched 17 movies over like a day and a half or two and a half days, whatever it is. And it's too much. It is too much. It is ridiculous. We had our friends giving where like I took uh, seven quarts of chili and came back with like maybe a small bowl full of it. Um, Eli brought a ham. Uh, there was ice cream cakes. It was it was wonderful. There were charcuterie boards, but the punch on the second day had turned. Oh <laughs> and, no! <laughs> <laughs> and had separated into layers inside the punch bowl, inside the the big carafe thing that he had, uh, and it clogged up because all the pulp kind of stuff went to the bottom and just like sat in the little filter of the spigot. And uh, I didn't have any anyway, but I definitely was avoiding that whole area of the kitchen at that point because I thought it was going to gain sentience. Yes. <laughs> I love pulp. <laughs> I buy I buy extra pulp orange juice. Mm-hmm. Give me all the pulp. I want to have to bite my orange juice and <laughs> chew through it. Yeah, I've got a solution for you. They sell oranges. Where? You can just buy an <laughs> at orange. Ralph's? <laughs> yeah, you can get it at Ralph's. Or uh, do you have King Supers? <laughs> do you have King Supers out there? Mm, we didn't. Uh, we might. We might. We had King, King Supers in uh, Colorado and it's the, I guess, the local. I think my delivery. Okay. It's the, if we can talk through it, uh, regional <laughs> version of um, Kroger, which we have here. <laughs> There's so many dogs working. <laughs> How many dogs does he have? I think he just has the two. It, it might have just been one dog working. <laughs> God. Buster. <laughs> Buster. Buster. Oh. He just wants to let you know something okay. happened. Okay. We done? That was FedEx. So that was not the delivery I was worried about. Sorry about that. Was it only Buster barking? Um. Or was Riley barking too? Ripley, sorry. Uh, she was barking a little, but she's, she's got more like a crazy hyena-ish bark. <laughs> Where did we leave off before my dog so rudely interrupted us? Um, okay, the guys have jobs. They found the video games. Bob drank the chocolate milk and vomited. So we're at the hockey match. Which, the amount of Star Wars jokes in here is really impressive. Uh-huh. Was this, Moranis is in Spaceballs after this, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. 
That's like 87, I think. Okay. Um, yes, straight up Star Wars completely. But I love these outfits. I think they're really cool. The hockey stuff. It didn't Return of the Jedi come out like the same year or something like that. So it's crazy that they're making Return of the Jedi jokes. Yeah. And I mean, they dropped the ultimate spoiler. Yeah. In the movie. <laughs> and Bob says that Doug saw saw Jedi 17 times, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's something they like it while they were filming it. They decided to just throw that in there. Yeah. Josh, when are we going to do Star Wars month? <laughs> okay. Just talk about like eight Star Wars movies in a month. Let's do it. Oh, there's like 12 is the problem. Okay, then it'll be six weeks. I've... Six straight weeks of Star Wars. You and me, bud. Have you seen, have you seen, I just rewatched the episode one and two on Letterboxd. Yeah, why? Because. Why, why are you doing this? <laughs> Because I wanted to watch all of them, and uh, I'm a glutton for punishment, and I've found uh, there are places where you can acquire um, uh, HD versions of the original Star Wars that have been cleaned up and remastered by fans. Uh, Mm -hmm. So there's like a whole gray market. You have those versions. Yeah, we have those versions of the original. Three, so those so don't yeah. have any of the CG added in, just yes. upscaled. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes, none of the extra weird scenes or that. Yeah, is it? So, <laughs> but they're but they're nice looking. <laughs> so those copies, like officially, those original cuts. Can you even buy those? No, nowadays. No, you you wow. have to go. Um, you have to get them from a guy uh, opening <laughs> a his shady his, guy in an alley. Yeah, yeah. his trench who has coat a big a trench coat. Alley. Yep, and he opens his coat. Uh, but Andrew, once again, actually acquired physical media copies of all of these. And I want to rewatch all the movies and, and then rewatch the originals, like in that kind of format. And so I thought, I was like, how bad can they be? The last time I watched episode one was with my girls when they did the re-release, the, the 3D re-release. And I had a lot of fun with it. And then watching it this time, I realized it's because my kids were like five and seven. and the movies were a blast to them. Like pod racing was cool to them and didn't need to serve a larger purpose. And I was ready to like rip my eyeballs out of my face because these movies look horrible. They're no fun. All the dialogue is a horrible stupid. actor. Oh God. <laughs> oh, that poor kid, Jake, whatever. Jake Lloyd. That poor kid. I don't blame him because mm, no. all actors give bad performances in George Lucas movies. It seems. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone. Portman, uh, McGregor's pretty good, but I, uh, I do not like Liam Neeson in those movies Mm-mm. or yeah. in that movie, I guess. My God, that I sitting in theaters and listening <laughs> to the, like the first 30 minutes where it's like, oh, there's there's so many tariffs on these trades. Yeah. We need to establish a trade federation to ensure that our blockade will never be broken. And it's just like. Oh, God, no, this is so boring. (laughs) It's like everyone wants to watch C-SPAN on the big screen. And the fight scenes are so dorky. They're like, I don't understand. Even in the first, the OG trilogy, like they look better than they do in the prequel trilogy. And I don't understand why, because like his shots, his selection is worse. His editing is worse. 
episode three does have the cool uh, opening with the the space battle, which is a little bit better and felt more Star Wars ish to me. But the like all the lightsaber battles and the um, the big arena fight with like the creatures and everything. It's so it's fucking stupid. And it makes me so (laughs) sad. I watched I got dragged to see seven and eight in theaters a few years ago with my family around Christmas each year. And I took naps during both movies. (laughs) It was right in that pocket where it's like, first 30 minutes, all that action has happened, and now I get ready for like 40 minutes of exposition and boring alien talk and stuff. And so I walked out of the theater after one of them, and my brother-in-law was like, oh shit, I'm gonna do a Manchester accent. Or... All right, mate. What'd you think of Yoda? Uh, Yoda was in the movie? (laughs) 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 And that concludes our Star Wars coverage for the, I think, forever. Yeah. See, they were were not using lasers in the best way possible because they were not using lasers for exposition to move the story along. No. (laughs) No. So dumb. So dumb. So many lasers, but none of them exposited. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-oh. I like this next little bit where the Max von Sydow and um, the, is it Paul Dooley or the other guy that wind up putting the Bob and Doug outfits on and sneaking around and Mm -hmm. shooting everybody with Trank guns. I thought it was going to happen once, but they just shoot everybody with these Trank guns. (laughs) Did they even shoot Ted? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then they apologize to him later. Paul Dooley f- feels so bad that Poor he Ted. shot him. <laughs> uh, and they think he's dead and it's ridiculous. Um, is this also. Yeah, I still feel sorry for Ted, even though he is part of the bad master plan. He's on the bad side, but I still feel sorry for Ted. I like that Ted just wants to light up the map again. Yeah. <laughs> Where the bathroom's hiding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> When the brothers walk in and they find the technician who's asleep at the keyboard and Dave Tarmus immediately starts screaming for the police because he thinks his brother murdered him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, and this is where they find the the floppy disk, which I like that once again, like when you put two movies next to each other, you see all these comparisons and they both have floppy disks in them. Which is a weird-ass thing for 80s movies to have, I feel like. Um, one definitely had floppier discs than the other one. Yes. This one had big old floppy disks. Because yep. is it secret footage or is it a, a bootleg of an English New Wave band? Yeah, it's definitely a bootleg. That's what it sounded like. <laughs> that, that English New Wave joke was pretty damn funny. <laughs> Connie, I thought of you when I heard that one. <laughs> Yes, new, new wave was my uh, my top genre on Spotify this year. <laughs> uh, I'll, we have a, a shared collaborative end of year Spotify playlist. Uh, thank you for your new order and Joy Division because I I I love that band and I don't know what it is about the bass, um, but God damn it, it's so repetitive, but it it's entrancing. <laughs> okay, what's I have to ask because I haven't been privy to this. What's your go to track? Mm, it's not I, I I can't remember if it's level tear us apart or the other one that I like what's the other one that's 
You know that one? <laughs> oh, that's Bella Lugosi. <laughs> I love it. That's Bella Lugosi's dad. All right, there's two things that I think are really cool in this movie. One are those pens that have the four different color ballpoints in them. Mm-hmm. I loved those when I was a kid. And the other thing is beakers with spiral of liquid going through them. That just looks cool. I mean, I don't care who you are. Spiral liquid going through beakers is cool shit. Uh, I loved the the mad scientist setup that looked straight out of a Frankenstein movie with uh, Brewmeister Smith, um, like siphoning off different beers from different beakers and pouring them together and then drinking it. Yeah. <laughs> oh. It just—it reminded me of the whole coffee subplot line in Breaking Bad, where they do the gag with "you think they're making meth, but they're making coffee." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember that. Oh, where um, the assistant that's there for a while, uh, Gail. Gail, yes. Oh yeah, Gail. Like, my, our, keeps up. I his measure my game. coffee with a scale, my beans in my water. Mm-hmm. Just so I can have consistency. And my sister accused me of being OCD. I was like, no, just like good coffee. You use a scoop, don't you? It's the same idea. People people see you using a scale and measuring things to grams in the kitchen, and they just think you're a weirdo. I'm I'm normal, right, guys? I have two scales. Guys. I have two scales in my guys. kitchen, actually. <laughs> like no shade. Two scales. It's, yeah. You get a couple more and you'll have a snake. Ah. <laughs> that's getting cut. That's, <laughs> oh God, that's, that's getting that's cut That's a dad out. joke. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, the brothers go home now at this point, right? Because one of, my favorite, the job. one of my favorite jokes is, I mean, all the hose head jokes in this movie just kill me because anything with a dog kills me. But when hose head looks at them and they say, he's got a funny look in his eye, eh? And they're both dressed up as gigantic T-bone steaks. (laughs) That's delightful. (laughs) Uh, Also, just in general, how sore do you think Rick Moranis' jaw was at the end of this production? Because the way that he's just contorting uh his face the entire movie, that looks so annoying to do that. I wonder if this is where Billy Bob Thornton got Sling Blade from. Because Sling Blade just seems like a southern bob. I never thought that Sling Blade was much like Rick Moranis. <laughs> mm. Mm. Not every man, not every woman would make biscuits for a man in the middle of the night. <laughs> you don't hurt that boy. Uh, oh, can we can we watch Sling Blade just so I can do that voice <laughs> a lot through the whole thing? <laughs> <laughs> it'd be funny because we'd be giggling and laughing through what is a pretty fucking dark and depressive yeah, that's a, movie <laughs> that's a heavy movie uh, it, is. it is Dwight we, Yoakam kicks ass though yes we and still gotta should... watch a crank because I just want to talk about how awesome Dwight Yoakam as a skeezy doctor is <laughs> he should be in more things because he's wonderful uh, uh, next scene I got is the 
the brakes on the van go out and they end up in the water. Yes, the the bad guys have tranquilized everybody, and then <laughs> they put most of the people into kegs in the mm-hmm. back of the van, uh, and then somehow rig the brakes so they'll only work twice. <laughs> yeah, which I like. It's movie magic. Yes, <laughs> uh, and it winds up with the the boys driving the van into Lake Ontario, <laughs> more, hey, more that was flying cool... the van. It was a cool stunt. Yes. That that launch of the van, that was badass. Mm-hmm. It's I miss uh this era. Both these movies have this. The like the Blues Brothers um just wanton destruction in the middle of an otherwise kind of low-key comedy movie. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, we the, when was the last time you saw a bunch of cop cars flip over each other <laughs> in like a mainstream movie? Yeah. <laughs> Tenet. <laughs> Easy, bud. Easy. <laughs> so, do you need to breathe some air out of a beer bottle? Because that's how yeah. the fellows survive. This, yes, this beer keeps montage, you alive. This little <laughs> montage where the swimmers are going down and the music's playing. And I'm just hanging out. Breathing upside down beer bottles, and it, and they don't seem to want to leave. Mm-hmm. They seem perfectly content to just stay in that van. I think this movie taught me as a kid. It's like it's really, really sad when you think like it just kind of goes down to the intermission uh-huh. and that sad music's playing, and you're like, oh no, what's happening? But you don't get to wait. You have to wait long, and then it's like, oh no, everything's fine. They're just breathing underwater with beer. <laughs> I love, I love, this ninety minute movie has an intermission. That's great. Yes. That like thirty seconds. <laughs> that shot after they drive into the lake and uh, Rosie, the guy who works at the brewery, saves Pam and then seemingly dies on top of the van trying to get the boys. Like it pulls out, and it reminded me of um, something you would see in like Columbo, like this very eighties looking like cops standing at the edge of the wharf, looking out as the characters all die. And then it cuts to the intermission. <laughs> and I was just like, it's so good. It's such a great little note. And once again, like fucking with the form of the movie to do a joke. And I really appreciated that. It reminded me a lot of uh, Gremlins 2. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Gremlins 2 is way better than the first one, better. right? We can agree. It's Gremlins just 2 well, is better. I th- I th- it builds up off of it. Yeah, it's a different thing. I like them both for different reasons. Yeah. Um. So after this, when the brothers are on the on, on the line, where like the identification line at the police station, <laughs> I love that they identify the woman is trying to identify them, in just a completely backwards way of implicating themselves. Uh, I like that they're both on the stand at the same time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> they're just being tried as one. One combined unit of a person. <laughs> that is why I don't know which one's Bob and which one's Doug. They're just always together. <laughs> and the joke about um, they're going to uh, plea differently to the different things. 
and they said, you can't split please like that. And one of them says, an order of split please soup, please. <laughs> so and then the nosebleed starts. Oh, my or God. Or the nosebleed already started. Yeah. No, because does that make him actually shoot the bullet out at that point? <laughs> <laughs> the bullet shooting out of his nose. So preposterous. <laughs> and you see the, the bailiff's hat fly off his head. Mm-hmm. Before this, when the... When they get their lawyer, and their lawyer gets into a kung fu fight with the media on the stairs. <laughs> so much of this movie is just preposterous and off the wall in the best way. It's just that right amount of absurdity. It's so funny. Yeah, I like how after he has the fight and he's like, that's how you deal with the media. And then that <laughs> other woman comes up and he just keeps slapping her. <laughs> she karate kicks him in the face. and yes. then hilariously punches her in the... It's hard to make punching a woman in the face funny, but this movie does it. She, she put up a fight. Yeah. She did. <laughs> um, I have a note that says steamroller, exclamation point, mm-hmm. and I don't know what that means. That is when they are, after the trial, <laughs> yeah. they are put back into the care of Brewmeister Smith to go to the mental in- institution until they can be deemed, like, mentally fit to stand trial. And... And but of course they're both put into the same room, and they've got their 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 <laughs> straight jackets on, oh, God. and this then scene. and then they <laughs> just scene. yell steamroller, and then steam rolls over, and that is perfect age for me. <laughs> I would yell steamroller at my brother and just roll right over him all the time. <laughs> <That's> so funny. <laughs> oh. this, is like, this is like in Sunny and Philly when Frank and uh, Charlie play night crawlers. Yes. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> also, I was thinking of uh, Step Brothers during this mm-hmm. scene. This, yeah, this kind of is like a template for Step Brothers, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Yeah, I had a note about the steamrollers in there. Uh, also, the, I like that they're wearing pajama pants. Yeah. Like, grown-up version of... On. Yes, little kid pajama pants. <laughs> Uh, so we're getting towards do the they, end of this movie here, right? Well, do they electrocute themselves before or after Steamroller? <laughs> That's after. <laughs> <laughs> They're electrocuting because themselves for fun. They have my favorite joke of when they they're caught. And they said, we're from the Department of Justice. We're here to adjust the beds. I just love that joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh. What are you doing in here? Oh, uh. We're from the Department of Justice, and we're adjusting the beds. Uh, this is Mr. Roy, our consultant. Please, two minutes for elbowing. Let's get out of here. The, um, oh, Pam is scheduled to be lobotomized. Dr. Smith is doing something with the brothers. Um, <laughs> and then is this when they get the other inmates all riled up? Uh, and capture Paul Dooley. Yeah, does Rosie get out? And he, like, kind of frees, he finds them, and they get Pam. Yes. And then they have to split, and the brothers have the sad moment. Yes. Where they've never been apart. (laughs) (laughs) And the, uh, oh, this is when the ghost of uh, John Elsinore shows up, (laughs) shoots out of a storage closet, and... (laughs) shoots laser exposition at the wall uh-huh. and then uses his ghost powers to shoot lasers through Brewmeister Smith. 
He also says nice effects, eh? Yes. In the lasers. (laughs) So, okay. (laughs) My notes, I I do voice to text with my notes. So I had to leave this one in here. I, I meant to write, hockey player pushes Max von Seidel against the map. And it wrote, hockey player pushes an Xbox side out against the map. Very similar. <laughs> so, yeah, von Seidel gets eight lasers shooting through mm-hmm. his torso from a map from some the United lights. States. And I, very I guess that kills him. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> it does. Uh, so there's what? There's an Oktoberfest festival happening, and they need to stop it, right? Well, this well you, you skip past the part of where he is uh, has to drink all that beer to get out. Oh, of the, when they're in the vat, yes, yes. the big giant vat. <laughs> that reveal. <laughs> they show gigantic balloon Moranis. <laughs> all the beer. <laughs> And he put out the fire. Mm-hmm. It's very helpful. He saved them from drowning, and he put out the fire. <laughs> this moment was, uh, I don't know, honored or straight up lifted in Beerfest, now that I think about it. Yes. Mm-hmm. That would have been a good pairing. Beerfest in this movie? Yeah. <laughs> uh, they go back to the house to get Hosehead. And this is where they bust out the map. They ask somebody for a map. And I love when they hold the map up to Ho's head. And they're like, okay, this is like a top-down view, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget to turn right off Highway 60, yeah? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) The dog just looks... And this is your great dog acting that you were talking about. The dog just looks (laughs) concerned. And at one point, Dave goes, hey, pay attention. Because the dog's looking everywhere. But the map, I also just made Dave Thomas like an Italian mafioso. <laughs> hey, pay attention. Uh, why does Hosehead have a skunk stripe going down his back? Because it spooks everybody at the Oktoberfest into thinking uh-huh. he's a giant skunk. And they uh-huh. say that he's like a um, an Ottawa Wait, skunk don't or go something. In there. That's yeah, don't why, go in that's there. Why they there's did a that? big skunk in there. Yeah. I did not... <laughs> I did not catch that. Well, does Hosehead always have the, no. the skunk stripe on him? No. Okay. They did They did it for that because his head, he's got like a, I was going to say a Bella Lugosi, but he's got a real Sean <laughs> hairdo there for a moment. Uh, when I was real little kid, we had a cat named Snowy, an all white cat. And apparently I've been told this cat was also incredibly dumb. And I was about three years old. And somehow I got hold of a black sharpie, <laughs> so I drew oh, a reverse skunk, skunk stripe down oh, this no. poor cat's back with sharpie <laughs> on its white fur, and so it was uh, it was there for like weeks, I guess, until it it shed it all. I feel bad, but I was, I mean, it's, someone should have been watching me. What's a three-year-old doing just unattended? <laughs> it's like, how when I was a little kid, somehow there was a barbecue, and the shell was on the barbecue, and I walked up, and I guess to see if it was hot or not, just touched the shell of the barbecue mm. with my palm. Why was I just wandering around a barbecue by myself? <laughs> <laughs> 
It was the 80s. It's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Okay. So. Well, I like that you had the question, Sean, of why did the dog have the, the skunk marking on it and not the question of why does the dog fly and have a cape? <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> we are the shot. Watching this. Connie, I, I had seen the gif before of Hosehead flying, but I just, I did not make the connection that that was this movie. And so this ending, when Hosehead runs at the camera, jumps over the camera that's on the ground, and then it shows him just take off into the sky, and then he's Superman flying with like a, the dog's clearly like on a green couch or something lying down, and they have a fan blowing on it. <laughs> it just looks so happy. <laughs> oh, that just looks delighted to he's be. A, he's having a good time. <laughs> somebody must either the wind or somebody yanks the cape off from back, and the dog just kind of looks back. They're like, "What was that?" Yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> it's just so nonplussed about flying, but it looks so happy and casual. <laughs> I feel like the cape oh, God, comes off so like right funny. before he lands. It's like it's time to land. Now I can remove the cape. Yes. It's like out of nowhere. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> oh. <laughs> How do they get a beer truck at the end of this movie? <laughs> they uh so they have to take all the poison beer back to be I don't know, removed, disposed of. Yes. And, they, and so the cops are like, how are we going to do this? And since the cops have not had any of their own ideas this entire movie and just followed whatever the McKenzie brothers have suggested, <laughs> they go along with them saying, we'll drive it back. And he can drive it because it's just five speed time, too. Yeah. And we think I love that truck. joke. <laughs> do you know how to drive a 10 speed? Yeah, it's just a five speed times two. <laughs> so much of this movie is just their asides to each other like the running commentary while everything else is happening and (laughs) i really wonder if they just went into like the booth afterwards and did a whole commentary through the whole movie to get those things because there's no way they could have got all that like on the day that had to be like you know after put in technically yeah Yeah, i have no like i don't know how long they were like doing the mckenzie brother like gets on SCTV before this movie came out. It's like, maybe it was just natural for them at that point. Yeah. This movie was surprisingly a box office success. Cost $4 million and it made almost $9 million. Okay. Like, because I, you know, no clue because I was a kid. I just someone, somebody rented it. So I have no clue. (laughs) And I I never ran into many people that had watched it either. So it always just kind of felt like it was this cult movie that I liked a lot. For a Canadian improv sketch comedy movie, a nine million bucks return, that's pretty damn good. Uh, this was hilarious. This movie, I think this is going to be one that will grow the more times that I watch it. I think you just will pick up more and more things, and I, I look forward to this becoming annual or semi-annual um, yeah, this one's staying on the hard drive for a long time. This was really, really fun. Thank you, Connie. I'm glad you liked it, because it's, it's just a stupid movie I like, so I don't, <laughs> I don't expect anyone else to like it. It's really stupid. <laughs> it's it's incredibly stupid. <laughs> it, uh, for me, has very similar vibes to Clue, 
which is just mm. another another movie that I can put on and just be happy that it's happening. Yeah. And there's so many like little quips that are just pleasing and it's never upsetting. Like the, I want to watch the movie, but also this would be a great nap movie. Like just kind of sit and chill. It never gets too loud, even in the action scenes. And you'd wake up and roll over and be like, oh, yeah, the, the hockey fight. And then like go go back to sleep and it would just be perfect. <laughs> uh yeah, so what would you guys rate Strange Brew on a five point scale here? Uh, well, you know, I'm giving it a five. <laughs> I, I yeah, I, I completely I think had I seen this movie as a kid, this might have definitely been on like a naked gun level in my mind of how important or how attached I would be to this. This, this would have killed me as a kid. I think it's the perfect movie to just like quote on the playground and have inside jokes. And there's so many different quotes and like, <laughs> the steamroller game and hose hat. It's, there's just so much to love here. Um, I would give this, uh, I'm going to go four out of five. It might grow to a four and a half over time, but I, I really, really enjoyed it. And a lot of times watching comedies at home by myself, I, I find myself kind of <laughs> like smirking or slightly laughing, making a noise as a lap. But this movie, I'm, I'm laughing out loud like many, many times. Yeah, I am right there with you. Like, honestly, I put off watching these movies. Uh... I have been talking to people. I've not been in a great mood the last few days. And so I put this on last night and I was like, I'll do my work. And I sit down to start watching it. And like four minutes in, I'm like, this is fucking great. This is what, (laughs) this is exactly what I needed to help my mood. Uh, Yeah. It's four stars and a little heart because (laughs) I do remember these characters and it feels like just the, the 1980s coming home. It's great. All right, well, up next, we're going to be talking about Midnight Run after the break. Ding-a-ding-a-ding. Josh, this one's on you. Oh, okay. Don't oh, sound so excited. Oh, boy. Well, I'm ready to get into it. Um, our second movie today is... Uh, Midnight Run, which I just adore. It's a 1988 movie directed by Martin Brest, written by George Gallo, which I literally know nothing else of this man's work. Um, and featuring a um, murderer's row of character actors, I would say. Uh, you got De Niro, you got Charles Grodin, R.I.P., Yefet Koto. John Ashton, Dennis fucking Farina, Joey Pants is in this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, even like the the diner guy who shows up later, I'm like, oh yeah, that guy is totally a character actor that I've seen like on a bunch of sitcoms and things. Um, and the music, did you look up the music, Sean? No. Who who did this music? Who would you think? Danny Elfman. Would you have guessed Danny Elfman though? I just looked it up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I remember seeing it in the credits and thinking that I'm wondering if that's like around the time um, 
because I uh, right now I would always associate I knew Danny Elfman did so many uh, scores because of Tim Burton. Yes. But then I thought I had that impression even before he started doing all that stuff with Tim Burton, and it was because he was just he was just a charge. I just kept seeing his name in the credits for so long, and I was kind of familiar with Oingo Boingo, so it stuck out to me. Okay, and and so it's like. Because, like, I recently rewatched Summer School, and I always forget. He's like, oh, God, Danny Elfman did the music for Summer School. And then, then it's like he popped up again. I'm like, oh, did, what did he just do the music for, like, all the movies in the 80s? <laughs> I only connect him to the Simpsons theme song. And so I have no, you know, with a lot of composers, you kind of have a feel for what their style is. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what Danny Elfman's style is. So you don't connect him with, like, the Pee Wee movies or Batman? I've never seen... Oh, I've seen like 30 minutes of Pee Wee. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. It's so good. (laughs) I don't think it was the movie. I think it was the Christmas special. Yeah. Okay. I don't know know Pee Wee Herman like at all. Never a part of my life. Oh my God. Uh, Another one of those. Pee Wee's Big Adventure is a good movie. Another one of those big influences that I should have been watching as a kid. Right, Connie? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> missing out on mr rogers sesame street like just like all the big hitters for kids somehow i seem to miss all of them <laughs> all of the ones that like, would have taught me morals <laughs> dave zero <Zero-Mars. laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah that's weird because also for me like danny elfman was between Wee and um batman especially i think batman was like mm-hmm. maybe the first score that i had uh, like, cause you could get the, the score, uh, on cassette. And I distinctly remember the cover was like the, the moon with the Batman logo on it and the bat wing flying up through the clouds. Um, as opposed to the, the Prince tape, which I also had because that was fucking great as well. <laughs> that movie is just fantastic. I need to watch that again. Still, why am I even watching star Wars? I need to watch Batman again and Batman returns. Yeah. Do you though? And then stop. Those are those first two are good. Yeah. Something about them both turn my stomach. What? I don't know what it is. All right, it's like Devito. The Michael Keaton Batman. It's like Devito as Penguin. I just remember being like as a kid, just being like revolted. Oh yeah. Well, you're supposed to be. <laughs> well, job, but it's like I don't enjoy. And then the other one. Uh, the one with all the neon. I might be com- I might be combining a a Burton and a uh, what's the one with the ice skaters that everyone hit Joel Schumacher. Schumacher, yeah, yeah. God, all of those movies, just especially that Schumacher one. Like right now, as I'm thinking about, all I'm thinking about is neon ice skate warriors with is- extreme Dutch angles. Uh so. Would it have been Batman Forever? Uh, that more like Batman Never. Am I right? That is the movie, which was the prelude to me losing my virginity. So, <laughs> go, go on. <laughs> that was uh, we went on a date to go see Batman Forever. And then made love in a Chevy van, as you do at Indiana in the middle of a cornfield. Mm-hmm. Which one? Is, who's the Batman in Batman Forever? Clooney? No, that's uh, that's a Kilmer, is it not? 
remember oh. which one. Yeah, Kilmer. I could see Kilmer getting you in the mood. <laughs> uh, so I watched Midnight Run with my mom. By the way, just for a little context of some of my notes are kind of mom specific. So <laughs> I love it. My first my first note for this movie is I'm yelling Yafet Kodo and Joe Pantoliano at my mom and she doesn't understand. <laughs> I started watching this and I first I recognized the director's name, but I didn't know from what. And so then I looked it up and I saw that he also did Beverly Hills Cop, which I've watched tons of times. And then I was like, oh, okay. And then I start watching it, and the first other bounty hunter that shows up is Taggart from Beverly Hills Cop. And so I just yeah. kind of was, I went to go get something to drink, and I said something to my husband. I said, I was like, oh, I'm like, this movie's got Taggart in it. And he's like, what? And I'm like, do you not remember the character names of Beverly Hills Cop? And I'm like, because I don't know the actor's name. <laughs> uh, that's the only way that I know this guy. Uh, is it John Ashton? Yes. Is his real name? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow, yeah, I had to has, look it up like twice. <laughs> he has one of the worst Wikipedia profile photos I've ever seen. <laughs> it, looks, it looks like he's a ghost <laughs> shot on a camera from 2002 cell phone. Yeah, he he looks like he's being haunted by the ring. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but he's great in this movie, and I was right there with you, Connie. I was just like, oh, it's Taggart. That's that's where I know him from. Because I, I don't think I've seen him in anything else. Uh, my first note was... 80s blues music and Bobby De Niro in a leather jacket. Fuck yes. Yeah. <laughs> like it sets such Buster. a tone right Buster. in the beginning. And Buster. oh God. <laughs> <laughs> what now? Uh, there's there. We're going to have one more delivery, but I don't think that was that. I think that might've just been him. Barking at someone out front. I don't know. He's, he's angry. Maybe he wanted to talk about Taggart. <laughs> <laughs> Buster's like, where's Judge Reinhold? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That'd be awesome if he showed up too. <laughs> Judge Reinhold was my favorite part of the Beverly Hills Cop movies. Mm -hmm. He's funnier than Eddie Murphy is. <laughs> yeah, he got more and more ridiculous. <laughs> also, it's going to be a real hot take. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop 4, the one where it's in the theme park, mm -hmm. that's the best one. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. Um, I think it, I think, I think it's the best one because I was a kid and that was by far the silliest one. And so I, I think that's just why I attached to it. That, uh, when did that come out? I remember that being one of the first movies that I sat down to watch with my parents and I stood up and like went and played Nintendo or something instead partway through it. <laughs> yes. Wow. A scathing <laughs> review from little Josh. Yeah. What year would that have been? Oh, that's, is that three? That's three. Cause I'm like, they don't have it made four. Oh, it's three. Okay. Four is coming that's out though, right? Had... I think they're making another one. Supposedly. I don't know. Eddie Murphy's just trying to find a way to be likable. <laughs> it keeps failing. Is it the second one that has uh, Bridget Nelson in it? Yes. That, I think so. Yeah, like I've seen that one a few times, but I, I don't think I might have seen three just once. So I don't remember what, much what about it. What year was that, Connie? Which three. one? Two or three? Three was 94. Yeah, so I saw it when I was nine years time. old. Yeah. And right in the pocket for that movie. I was, That's not a good sign, though, that that movie was 
basically made for nine-year-olds. Yeah, I was 15 and I was like, no, this is childish and ridiculous. <laughs> I love... When I was older. I love... <laughs> I love stories of young Josh being pretentious and turning his nose up at things. They're, they're some of my favorite. <laughs> There's no shortage of them, that's for sure. Oh, no. it's. I mean, we all have that when, you're, when we're 17 and you discover art or whatever. And mm-hmm. so you just become like a dismissive little <laughs> asshole. You know, we all go through it, I think. Oh, I had to do like a... Uh, uh, mini version of we had like these big final projects because I was in a particular conservatory in my school for English and I did a big research paper about Orson Welles and film theory and Citizen Kane to graduate and get my fine arts endorsement like I, I was that annoying <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Citizen Kane oh yeah yeah it's, yeah his historically it's good and it's important <laughs> but to watch it today it, uh... i still have only seen the second half and it was shown in a journalism class in school and i was sick the first day so i still <laughs> seen the first half but watch it on a tiny tv in a, school, in a classroom as he intended i'm sure <laughs> well when you figure out what rosebud means your mind's not gonna be i know yeah, like i know it's like okay <laughs> <laughs> Josh, I'm sorry. Oh, Sean, it hurts. <laughs> I just rewatched it like a couple months ago and I was like, damn, this movie is still so good. All right. I, I, I did recently it. watch Godfather <laughs> 1 because I'd only seen it once and I was kind of dismissive of it. And then I watched the second right after and they're very good movies. <laughs> as much as I didn't want to <laughs> like them and yourself. wanted to have like the opinion of like, ah, Godfather sucks. I gotta hand it up to Coppola. They're good. He did fine. Um. So, right. At <laughs> what the, are we talking about? Right at the beginning of this movie, <laughs> we meet uh, Robert De Niro as Jack Walsh, a bounty hunter. We meet uh, John Ashton as Marvin, another rival bounty hunter. Uh, and they fight over a bounty that they're taking to Joey Pants, whose character name I never wrote down because he's just Joey Pants, uh, who's a bail bondsman. Um, One of the worst comb-overs I've ever seen oh, on Joey Pants in this movie. He's so slimy looking, and he's got that Dan Flash's shirt on. It's <laughs> it's excellent. <laughs> and suspenders, I think, through at least a good chunk of it. Yeah. yeah. Why is... Mm-hmm. Why is Pantoliano, I'm just thinking of him also in like the, the bad boys movies. He's just so perfect to play a guy yelling at people from an office. <laughs> it's just like where he was born to be. Just being an asshole in an office building. That's, uh, well, I think this movie also has Yafet Koto yelling at people and Dennis Farina yelling at people. And all three of these guys, that's like what they should be doing. I think mm-hmm. who would you be most scared of yelling at you between those three? Yeah, that Koto. Dennis Farina. <laughs> I'm Farina too. Well, I'd be terrified of Dennis Farina. Yeah, that Koto, he, he can yell, but he also gets really, really quiet and just stares. And it's yes. Now, he has, he has like brooding intensity 
Whereas Farina is just like, he's going to spray you with liquid fire. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But I've also got Yafet Koto from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy's Dead. Uh, Mm -hmm. And he was like a a sweet counselor in that movie. And so... And it's big sweat. Yes. So I always (laughs) remember him from that, so... Uh, He's also in Star Wars, right? Sean. <laughs> Do you see me pointing? Don't you dare point the door and tell me to leave. Uh, it's an audio medium. You can't point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we need a, a descriptor to come on and, and say what I'm doing. So the whole plot of this movie is revealed over Chinese food because Joey Pants <laughs> wants Jack to track down Jonathan the Duke Mardukas, who stole $15 million from a mob boss, played by Dennis Farina, named Serrano. Uh, and Jack had a run-in with him while he was a cop before he became a bounty hunter. Like, that's the whole engine of the, of the whole story, is Jack has to go retrieve the Duke, and what's going to happen? Strange Brew was surprisingly way more complicated than this movie was. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, I also thought this would have made a good pairing with uh, planes, trains and automobiles because I thought the same thing. Yeah, when they kept yeah. I almost thought like th- they might have been too on point and too similar, though. Yeah, I, I was I was kind of glad that we had uh, a couple weeks in between those two. But they're they're so close to being the same movie. Yep. You've got two an odd couple trying to make their way across the country. Um, of course, Chicago comes into play in both of them. Uh and they cannot stay on one form of transportation for more than about seven minutes at a stretch. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, Daniel gets to eat the entire time, and and Charles Grodin never gets. Yes. To <laughs> yeah. So Charles Grodin, I realized that I like barely know this guy at all. I saw him in the Beethoven spoiler. This movie is spoilers for the movie Beethoven. <laughs> Do you guys remember how Beethoven ends? I've never seen it, but go ahead. Go for it. There's like there's like an evil vet that is trying to capture Beethoven for some reason, or he's trying to euthanize, kill Beethoven. And then like at the end, the vet has like a bunch of needles on a tray that are like full of <sighs> euthanasia or something. And somehow, I think Beethoven or somebody hits the tray and it's on an edge of a table and it catapults all these needles straight into the vest chest and he dies. This is kids movies in the 90s. <laughs> like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> uh, I remember first seeing Charles Grodin in um, in Seems Like Old Times, which is Chevy Chase, Goldie Hawn movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. And... and and so I was like really young watching this and you're supposed to just like, you know, totally love Chevy Chase in that. But for some reason, I just glommed on to Charles Grodin because I just love that deadpan humor. And so I was just this little girl that had this crush on this guy with this deadpan humor. Because whenever I would see him in anything else after that, I'm like, oh, I like this guy because he was always pretty much playing the same character. It's just, just the deadpan humor guy. <laughs> uh, did we He's funny in this movie? Did we talk about the lonely guy the other day on the discord? I, th- uh, I never, never heard of it. that. Uh, but I think I think someone was talking. About okay, it. yeah, it's it's Steve Martin and Charles Grodin as like divorcees, uh, and 
it's there. There are parts of that movie. I probably saw it like when I was in middle school or something. There are parts that I'll never forget about why you should buy a fern. Uh, and y- that way you always have a friend. <laughs> it's so sad. Uh, it's just such a, a charming movie. Uh, and the great Muppet caper. Groden was in the great Muppet caper, yeah. which yeah. has, you know, I have a bunch of plants in my house, right? To take place. So you have all those friends. <laughs> you just straight up called me sad, Josh. <laughs> but charming. Sad and charming. It goes together. I do. That is kind of the line I'm going for. <laughs> <laughs> um, this open market diner, wh- where are they? And when they're sitting down to eat at this Asian restaurant, but it's not a restaurant. It's like a gigantic flea market. I don't know. I've, so i don't have we don't have these things in california whatever this is i I mean it's la this is in la uh, Mm um the the diner thing the only thing that i could compare it to is well i'm embarrassed (laughs) (laughs) redact your previous statement sean uh (laughs) the only thing that i can compare it to is we've got like a farmer's market here but it's not nearly as big and then in um Philadelphia, there is a big indoor thing like this that I went to. Um, and actually, when I was talking to George, it was like he knew exactly which stall I went to. I described the sandwich that I had, and he was like, Oh, you were here, like right in the middle. And then I went over here and I got a cannoli or whatever. And, uh, but it's the same kind of setup where it's just all these different stalls and just a cornucopia of delicious foods. It looked really fun, mm-hmm. aside from mm-hmm. my mild agoraphobia that might get <laughs> triggered going to some place like that. I don't know. I haven't been in a crowd in a long time. <laughs> Even when you know Connie and I went to that Modest Mouse concert, but it was outdoors on a gigantic open lawn. Um, since COVID, I have like not been in a crowded indoor environment. It, it, every time, I'm still getting kind of. It's not as bad now, but when we were in heavy, heavy quarantine, seeing characters sitting so close to each other and talking to each other or hanging out in big groups just felt strange to see people that close together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it felt weird. Um, God, there was something the other day that we were watching and there was like a buffet in it. And I was just horrified because <laughs> it, it seems just like a super spreader event now. Mm-hmm. Uh, De Niro what there's a scene I don't remember what the scene is but some guy is staring at De Niro and De Niro asks if he's gonna propose mm-hmm. if not stop staring uh, there's a moment from Analyze That which somehow bored its way into my brain and it's like really fucking annoying because I think about it often when I hear a certain it's De Niro's going to this mob house and the mob henchman opens the door and goes, yeah, what? And then De Niro goes, yeah, what? And punches him in the face. And for some reason, this stupid fucking moment is just in my brain. So I just, like, anytime I hear someone say, yeah, what? Or anything, I just flash back to De Niro punching this dumbass in the face <laughs> again. And it, it's, it's one of those things, like, I wish I could somehow erase it from my brain. The... 
uh, Jack negotiates a hundred thousand dollar payday for going to get the Duke um, from wherever he is, uh, and. I'm not quite sure why he trusts Joey pants that he's going to like fulfill this contract even because Mm -hmm. he's having trouble getting the 1200 off of him. Oh, but he keeps it rolled up. And did they get it? Did it get it notarized? Yes. (laughs) Uh, I like that. Joey pants keeps the money in his sock rolled up and, Mm -hmm. and even his socks are flashy. That was a good note. Um, have you seen the episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm where Larry keeps a $5 bill or Funkhauser has a $5 bill in his shoe and he takes it out on mid-jog to try to pay Larry for a debt that he owed him? <laughs> he hands Larry this wrinkled, like, soggy-looking $5 oh. bill. Larry's like, I, can, I am not taking that. <laughs> um, the, oh, we get Yafat Kodo as Agent Alonzo Mosley who tells Jack to leave the Duke alone and Jack steals his FBI badge. <laughs> the, Oh, the shot right after that, um, because they pull him into a car and like tell him to back off. And right afterwards, he's walking down the street and he whips out the badge and like goes back to the camera. Like he's talking to the camera. De Niro is in this scene and he's like flashing yeah. the badge at it. I'm like, it's so fucking good. There's something that makes me so happy about it. Just, a- I love how cinematically like when they pushed him out. Go ahead. Go ahead. Connie. Uh, I was going to say, like, I like when they pushed him out of the car and they threw the sunglasses <laughs> at him and then he kind of caught them, but not really. And then he dropped them and picked them up. And I'm like, wow, they just didn't do another take. They just said, yeah, just keep yeah. going. Cause that's like, that was so natural. Yep. So I really like that. <laughs> uh, when he flips that badge out, it's so preposterous and cinematic. Like mm-hmm. he's just trying to emulate all of the detectives that he's seen growing up on TV. Yes, <laughs> but also he used to be a cop, so he probably did it himself too. But so it's like, why is he practicing? That is true. Why does he look so weird doing this? If it's something he's done so many times. But that's he does say later. Like he gets giddy when they do the sting operation later, and he wears a wire, and he's like. Yeah, he misses. Being yeah, he's a like, cop. I feel like a cop again, and he's like, like hyped yeah. up about it. Yeah. Uh, De Niro's going to Groden's house. Yes, and at the airport when he's getting his rental car, which I also thought of planes, trains again. Um, mm-hmm. He's stopped by the the two mobster guys uh, who work for Serrano, and they offer him a million dollars to turn the Duke over to them. Um, which did mob culture as a whole, like not move forward from this point, because I feel like you could see the, all of the extras in the Sopranos dressed this same way, like 20 years later. <laughs> Tracksuits, man, they're comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. They, they, they always just like, to, I guess you know, they talk about the good old days a lot in Sopranos. So maybe they're just like, why do we need to update our style? Yeah. We're just going to roll with it. It's fine. <laughs> yep. Um, he tracks down the Duke, uh, and <laughs> he gets trapped in the bathroom by his dog. <laughs> and I like when they open up the door and he's in the shower and he's got his gun and his, his badge that he stole from Mosley out, like hiding, pointing it at the dog in the yes. shower behind the glass. Yes. <laughs> it's such a, like, I think it's going to do more damage to yourself if you actually shot that right now. 
<laughs> I like the he tells Groden, he's like, I will shoot you through this glass. <laughs> <laughs> I did like that they actually believe the dog was trying to keep him safe because if my dog went like that, I'd just be like, What are you doing? Stop it. I would not I don't think I would have checked out what was going oh, on. Yeah, at not all. at all. <laughs> I feel like you're just barking at nothing. Jose. I don't know. If my it. dog's barking at my closed bathroom door. I'm concerned something's going on. Maybe some animal crawled through the toilet or something. I don't know. An alligator. Oh, in, in we the... do have those in California, Josh. I don't know if you know that. Oh, yeah. Did people flush them down the toilets after they came back from vacation? Yeah, we uh, yeah we have gigantic indoor swap meet restaurants everywhere, and alligators mm-hmm. in our toilets. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and we also have staircases on our planes. Those are fancy planes. That I've only been on a staircased plane once, and it was when I went with my family to um, Ireland when I was a teenager. Yeah, I've only seen it on international. It looks. Oh, this is the real one. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that startled me. Be right back. Hey. <laughs> I love. The yelling at the dog who's barking thing, mm-hmm. because you're just making more noise. Like, yeah. like it's just, the dog's like you're joining yeah. in. We're all barking at yes. us, right? <laughs> we love to yell together. <laughs> it's my dogs hardly ever bark. It's very startling when they do. Uh, they like to when they're outside. They do, but once they mm-hmm. come inside the house, like they're normally silent. So it's it's yeah. shocking, but it's never anything important when they bark. Yeah. When our um my dog, he doesn't bark when the doorbell rings, which thank God he doesn't. So he usually just he does perk up and just go to the door and wait there, like, okay, we're gonna open the door now and see who's mm-hmm. here. <laughs> so glad he doesn't do that. But he does bark at he he'll bark just when he hears other dogs bark. So other dogs bark outside, then he'll suddenly start barking. So that's why I usually tell him to stop. That's <laughs> like we're not talking to those dogs. They can't yeah. hear you. <laughs> uh, there was a random dog like running through the neighborhood yesterday, and baby just kept going and going. And I was like, "What is happening?" And then I went outside and saw this other dog. And then I was like, "Oh, this is incredibly reasonable now." Mm-hmm. And then like the barking annoyed me much less because I knew there was a good reason yeah. for it. <laughs> you do. Yeah. We have a, a dog next door, very nice dog, but he has a super loud bark. So when he's in his yard, it's like, we'll let Moose out because he'll just go and they'll go up to the fence and the other dog will bark at him for a bit and stop. And then Moose will bark at him. And so it's like they're having a conversation. Mm-hmm. So they just bark for a while and then they, then they eventually just stop. We're like, I guess the conversation's done. We're like, okay, let's go back inside. <laughs> I, I love trying to figure out what's going on in their, their big, dumb, beautiful brains. Like. Yep. <laughs> what are you doing? The uh um our mail carrier, the our normal mail carrier, every day she comes by and has dog treats and gets out and oh. stops and like kneels down mm-hmm. and tries to get the dogs to come to her. Um and they're both skittish, but finally baby will go up to her. But she also is like right on the edge of their of their electric fence, which is like terrifying for them because their collars start beeping yeah. and they're like, Oh god. <laughs> Sean, are you back? I forgot to eat breakfast. What? Yeah. Just realizing. I I had two breakfasts. <laughs> what? Yeah. I uh we have like portioned out um egg bake and portioned out uh oatmeal bake that Elizabeth has made and prepped for the week. 
explain yourself. What? <laughs> what, what, what do these words mean? What do you, so, okay, with your fancy scale, you can weigh your food and figure out like what an actual portion is. And she makes yeah. like a giant um, casserole thing of eggs and uh, spinach and zucchinis chopped up and bell peppers and stuff. So you have like a pan that's a giant omelet that just sits in your fridge and you just scoop out omelet chunks and eat. No, you, you cut them up and you put them in individual containers. And that way you can just, she does it so that she has food ready to go to work. Like in the so morning. you're eating like a four day old omelet. Yes. Yeah. That's been sitting in its juices too. Mm-hmm. That seems very odd to me. <laughs> I've never eaten eggs that were, well, outside of hard-boiled eggs. I've never eaten scrambled eggs that were more than, I don't know, 30 minutes old. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, the eggs. Uh, you guys do a lot of shit with your oven that I, I've never heard of. <laughs> the, the eggs aren't my favorite because they get a little rubbery when you bake them. Uh, or if you do like a quiche, she'll do mini quiches a lot of times for us. But the oatmeal bake is is really good. Okay, I lied. I have had quiches before from bakery I worked at, and yeah. those would be a couple days old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, it's not that weird. It's like a crustless quiche. <laughs> or a giant frittata. <laughs> um, so we got Dennis Farina. <laughs> Speaking of frittatas, Farina, um, <laughs> it's the same word. <laughs> when, Farina, when Farina calls his henchman and he said, is this more on number one? Put more on number two on. <laughs> my mom snorted. <laughs> it made my mom snort laugh. And there's like no, there are no pause. They're just like, okay, here. Yes. <laughs> I know who I am. <laughs> the, uh, and I wrote in my notes, he's Dennis fucking Farina because... <laughs> I know he's a fine actor and can play many things, but Sean, did you think of uh, Snatch? I that's the only thing I think when I see Dennis Farina because okay. he's just yeah he's cousin is his cousin Avi in yep. that I can't yeah and he's so perfect but Dennis Farina is one of those actors where it's like you're so dialed in and you do the same thing every time but I never want you to change. Just keep mm-hmm. doing your Chicago asshole thing. It's wonderful. Uh, he was. I would like to see a romance starring Dennis Farina. <laughs> <laughs> what, would that, what would Dennis Farina trying to woo a, a woman or a man look like? Hmm. A homoerotic romance starring, starring Dennis, Dennis Farina. Farina. <laughs> <laughs> He was also in Thief and Manhunter early in his career because he was like that Chicago police guy. Uh, But those are different performances. In Manhunter, he's he's Jack. No. In Manhunter, the FBI. Yeah, he's Crawford. Guy? Yeah. But, um, and then he was uh, J-Lo's dad in Out of Sight, which we watched a couple months ago. Doing the toned down version of this same shtick, basically. Mm-hmm. He's 
Uh-huh. He's just immediately great. And uh, I wish like you ever have those, those actors that you wish you could get stuck like at an airport bar with, like <laughs> there's a long layover and you kind of have to sit there for a couple hours and you're just like, this is just a guy. He's just a dude who seems cool. And I would like to just chat with him for a couple hours. Will Patton. Have good stories. Will Patton. Yeah. Love to hang out with Will Patton at a bar. I just ask him to like read the menu to me. <laughs> <laughs> Can you read the menu in your really cool voice that you have, please? <laughs> um, let's see here. So we got De Niro and Groden. They're trying to get on the plane, right? This is our first mode of transportation that they try. Yes, somewhere in here we find out that the that Joey Pants's assistant uh, is a leak. And he's always calling them. He calls. He calls Taggart. Yeah, because he calls him. Because he calls him from the. Because uh, De Niro calls him from the airport to say, "I've got him. We're getting yeah. on a plane. I should be there in no time." And then that's when we learn about the assistant. Yep, that's right. <laughs> and uh, once again, donuts. Because every time they get a call, <laughs> he goes, "Hey, man, we should celebrate. Uh, I'm gonna go grab some donuts." Donut. And then later, <laughs> when things go badly, he's like, "Oh man, that's too bad. I'm gonna go grab some donuts." <laughs> It's like you should come. Isn't there anything else available yeah. to get? Okay, <laughs> gonna go run and get. Oh. Uh, Groden says he's afraid of flying. Has panic attack. They leave, and they go for a train now, right? Uh, yeah, they and, wind up uh, on a train. And Taggart, Taggart got the, the call. So at this point, Taggart <laughs> has canceled the credit card. Yeah, leave. Yeah, they get the train tickets and then. Taggart calls uh, Marvin. Stop that. <laughs> Marvin calls and uh, gets them, gets his credit card canceled, which can you do that that easily? He immediately. Well, he did have his, he had his credit card. Number. Yes. So it's like he had, cause I was, I was like, how is he just having this happen? I'm like, this is just movie magic. But then I'm like, Oh, he just read off his credit card. number. Yeah. yeah. Where's the last place I used my credit card? Yeah, they told him that info before he actually like really verified who he was. <laughs> but then I don't know, maybe in the eighties they just let people do all like a lot more stuff because I mean it was a lot easier to steal someone's identity. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> yeah, the idea of social hacking or whatever people call it wasn't really mainstream yet. So I'm sure you could yeah. talk circles around people on phones and stuff and get all sorts of information back in oh, yeah. the day. Oh, I did like um, when. When De Niro was flying out to to um, New York, mm-hmm. he was on the plane doing the changing the FBI badge to his photo, and the kid next to him, like just first like questioning what he was doing, like I'm not sure if he's doing something right, but then he was approving his work when he was done. <laughs> yeah, he's like, looks good. <laughs> I love that little that little kid was hilarious checking out his work. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, they're on the train. Uh, what's his name? Melvin? Mervin? Marvin? Marvin? Marvin finds Marvin. them on the train. Uh, they get into it again. There's a lot of... Kind of like how in planes, trains, and automobiles, they separate and reunite and separate and reunite. That kind of happens a lot in this movie, but it's Groden being handed off like a football. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Back and forth to <laughs> multiple people. That's... Um... I really do like the like the one-upmanship game between De Niro and um, just call him Taggart, uh, Marvin. <laughs> between Jack and Marvin, uh, and like their repeated, 
they do a really good job of like these repeated lines or gags throughout it with like um, the FBI always wears the sunglasses. And so the sunglasses is like the signal between them. And Marvin is always like, oh, I'll see you in L.A. Because they're trying to race across the country with Groden in tow. And uh, Marvin like never has him for until the end. He doesn't have him for more than a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like the the way that their fortunes constantly are flip flopping. It's just. It's so fun to me. I like. I just like how the FBI couldn't find anybody ever, and the bounty hunters find people in two yes. seconds. <laughs> so we start to get Groden, his character, and kind of his character traits start to come out. And I love that he's just like, he's so handcuffed to this moral code mm-hmm. that he has, or that he seems to have that. You know, he's immediately on De Niro about like cigarettes and high cholesterol food and his bad relationship with his ex-wife and his kid. And like, he's just kind of like chastising De Niro, but also trying to be like his spiritual guru to set him on the righteous path or so. It's a very funny dynamic. He just wants him to be the better version of himself. Mm -hmm. But I love it because it feels genuine i i i like groden's performance in this i think he pulls it off well that it it seems like this guy even through all this shit does want jack to have a better relationship with his daughter (laughs) you know when we change buses in chicago you're gonna have a couple hours i think you would be a better man if you use that time to look up your ex-wife and daughter it's a perfect opportunity why don't you mind your own business Let me ask you this. Why is it you haven't seen them in nine years? Why? Yeah. Just to get you off my back, I'll tell you why. She married a police lieutenant, and I'm not very popular with the Chicago Police Department, okay? Why aren't you popular with the Chicago uh, Police now Department? That's a holiday. Uh, what do we know each other? Get, what take. Why? Why? What did you do? Why aren't you popular with the Chicago Police Department? That's something that really doesn't concern you. She hurt you, Janet? Yeah. I'm sorry. What are you sorry about? I'm sorry you're hurt. I'm not hurt. You just said you were hurt. I'm not hurt. You just said you were hurt. I didn't hurt. say I was hurt. You said I was I hurt. I asked you if you were hurt, and you said, yeah, I'm hurt. That's because you you made me say. You started to put words in my mouth. Jack, you're a grown man. You have control over your own words. You're goddamn right I do. So here come two words for you. Shut the fuck up. That's the whole thing when they're in the dining car. Uh, and once again, we get a fried chicken. Uh, Jack is eating <laughs> some fried chicken. and. Groden is like, well, why are you doing that? You know it's bad for you. And he's like, because it tastes good. So you're doing it despite the fact that you know it's bad. That seems foolish. And then Jack turns it around on him about stealing money from the mob. <laughs> like, that also seems foolish. And he's like, I didn't think I'd get caught, though. <laughs> the FBI, uh, the only way they know where anybody is is because they're always following the the bounty hunters. Um, So they are stationed at one of the train stations. And then, but Jack got off the train, like before that with uh, the Duke in tow. And that's when they try to get on a bus, but they find out that the credit card has been canceled, Uh, which I like the little thing with the, the bus clerk because Jack busts out the, um, the ID again and uses the wrong name. He's like, I'm Alonzo. I'm Jack Walsh. Like, she's like, that's not the name on the badge. 
<laughs> Would you like me to call the FBI, sir? And Charles Grodin <laughs> yeah. is just nodding in the background. The, what he can do with just his reaction shots are great. He's like, this is yeah. great. <laughs> He's like, really? Can you get a load of this guy? Like, see what I have to deal with? Kind of a thing. Uh, and when they're on the bus is when they start the, uh, Jack, why aren't you popular with the Chicago Police Department? <laughs> Questioning. <laughs> I don't remember why is he why did he get ran out from being he wouldn't he wouldn't take a pay yes uh, he wouldn't take the payment or whatever yep mm-hmm. the yeah. whole police department was corrupt it's, yep Chicago police are corrupt this is what the whole thing is and he wasn't yes which like <laughs> shocking bit of news the police department was corrupt <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's around this time also that we meet. I think he's playing Serrano's like lawyer or advisor. He reminded me of um, the consigliere role, like in a, mm-hmm. in a mob yeah. movie. But it's Philip Baker Hall, and his character is Sidney, which is also his character name in Paul Thomas Anderson's first movie, which was originally called Sidney, but it was later called a Hard Eight oh. with um, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and um, the funny guy John. Is it John, John C. Riley? Yeah. I've never actually seen that. Oh, that's a gut punch of a movie. But I, I recognize him mostly from Magnolia. Yep. So I'm like, oh, he doesn't look that different. Yep. And his Did voice. I watch Magnolia? It's really it's, good. Ooh, got a lot of father stuff in it. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. We'll hit, do a little uh, Field of Dreams, Magnolia, double pairing. Oh. Really work out some emotional shit. Oh, it's much more <laughs> complex in Magnolia. Like, Whoa, whoa. Yeah. Whoa, dude. <laughs> sorry. Are you shitting on Field of Dreams? I'm sorry. Field of Dreams just makes me happy. Listen, I watch... Happy? It does. Happy? It makes me wish that I had a relationship like that that I could go to and feel that emotion about. It's like... But doesn't that mean that it leaves you, like, longing for an actual relationship with your dad and it makes you feel bad? I don't. Th- I don't feel bad about it. It's like it's like bittersweet. It's like wistfulness. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 not like a, a bad downer ending, but no. it's like I don't walk away from Field of Dreams giggling. <laughs> <laughs> what do you walk away from giggling, Sean? Um, uh, uh, Christmas Evil. Uh, okay. That movie sucked. But the last 20 seconds are very Strange Brew-esque, uh-huh. and they were delightful. <laughs> and so I did not like that movie at all, but I was giggling through the credits. That's fair. That is, that's a good poll. Um, My next note is the sniper attack at the buses. So this is where my autocorrect came in, uh, because... It says, once they get off the bus, some monsters start shooting at them. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, well, I mean, that works. That that would be a good movie. (laughs) I like that they're monsters, but they still use guns. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I think I meant mobsters. Uh, Yes. (laughs) And that's how the movie Bright was created. Uh, And this happens over and over again, because... As soon as the mob guys show up, so do the the feds. Uh, 
and like wind up fighting each other and Jack and the Duke give him everybody the slip. They steal uh-huh. an FBI car and then uh, Jack leaves the, the sunglasses on the steering wheel. Once again, this cat and mouse game with him and Kodo back mm-hmm. and forth. <laughs> uh, when the two mafia guys are now a bunch of the mafia guys get shot. Well, first, like, what was their plan? Because they, like, they all just like threw their lives away from nothing. Uh-huh. Like these men probably had families and children. <laughs> I was thinking <laughs> that. I was thinking of the gag in Austin Powers where uh, it's it's actually a deleted scene. I think where. Um, after one of the henchmen gets killed, it cuts to his house and his wife sitting at home waiting for him <laughs> to show was up. It the, <laughs> wait, was it the steamroller guy? It might be the steamroller guy. That would have been the perfect joke. Yes. That the steamroller guy <gasps> is completely like fleshed out as a character. Yes. <laughs> <He gets run>. <laughs> <laughs> so the two mafia guys are on the phone again with Farina and they're fighting like six year olds, like oh, yeah. punching each other <laughs> in the arm and like kicking each other. It's just like And even children. afterwards he's like, Stop it, I'm talking on the phone. Yes. <laughs> uh De Niro goes back to his ex wife's house and hangs out with her and we meet his daughter. So, and, oh, oh boy, there's some heavy stuff here. It's, I noticed a little character beat that I haven't noticed before, but uh, De Niro is constantly smoking throughout this entire movie. Mm-hmm. Except- he never coughs once, and it <laughs> annoys me. As an ex-smoker, I hate how smoking is portrayed in movies as this like thing with no consequences. Uh-huh. Everyone is constantly hacking when you're a, uh, a smoker. <laughs> That's what I thought of you, Shaw. I was watching this stuff. Like, there's a lot yes. of smoking in this movie. He is constantly smoking, and they're always stealing cigarettes from uh, from uh, Alonzo's, always taking the cigarettes from Marvin, yep. and it's <laughs> just everybody's smoking. And it's also just where they're smoking. Smoking on airplanes, smoking on trains, just... It's so wild to see that in the, in the 80s. Because, mm-hmm. you know, by the... I was born in 86, so I had limited time with smoking sections before that was all phased out of my life yeah like asking on the buying the plane ticket and saying do you want smoking or non-smoking like ugh, it was so ridiculous i remember being on a plane going why there's no difference there are different sections you're all in the same place it's it, <laughs> there's someone right next difference. to you is not smoking <laughs> uh when they go to the ex-wife's house jack puts out his cigarette before he steps onto her property and he doesn't smoke inside her house. It's like the one time he's not smoking through the entire movie. And I thought that was a nice little, just, he does have some respect for her despite the fact that her husband apparently sucks. Uh, so when he's, and is he corrupt or not? That's what it's like. It seemed like they were saying his, her husband was corrupt, but then when he made the joke, he just kind of like apologized for it immediately. So maybe not. I don't know. Or just all the cops were corrupt, so we're just assuming he is. <laughs> and they keep referencing it, but when she when she gives him the money in the car, and he's like, what's he going to do when he finds out? Uh, and then she says, oh, he'll understand. Like, <laughs> does he? Would he? Or does he want to hunt this guy down and kill him? Like, Yeah. Um, when he he's, never beat him, so we don't know. When he's hanging out with his daughter, and... Sadly, trying to stoke the relationship. When she offers him her babysitting money, mm-hmm. that is like a heartbreaking 
<laughs> moment that I really hit deep and I don't even have kids. <laughs> yeah, that whole little sequence, that's when we were talking about these movies and I was like, this one has got some bite but has some heart as well. This is specifically what I was thinking of. Like, there is, there's depth to, to Jack's character. Um, and they put it right in the middle of the movie. They don't wait till the end to have him have like, oh, he's a full person now. It's like, no, you get, he's got kind of a heartbroken past. I was kind of like, uh, looked at it as um, Charles Grodin's character. Uh, before that, he was, you know, telling him all these things that he should be mm-hmm. doing because it's a way to be healthy or whatever. But then there, that might've been like, oh, this actually could be a good guy. Yeah. That is, even though he's doing what I don't want him to do, I do kind of like him more than I did before. Yeah. It, the mutual respect that builds between these two characters over the course <laughs> of the movie does feel natural. And mm-hmm. um, I just, the pairing of these two, I, I'm really surprised that Groden didn't have like a more prolific career or at least just some bigger roles because um, again, I just like really don't know him from much of anything outside of this and Beethoven. Mm-hmm. He's very much a character actor. He wasn't ever going to be a leading man. What, what about uh, Clifford? You ever see Clifford? Uh, the big red dog. No, <laughs> not that one. The one with, I don't know what Clifford is. The then. one with Martin Short, where Charles Grodin plays the, is he like the uncle or whatever that winds up taking, Martin Short plays a child in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I have, yes, uh, yes, I can only handle so much Martin Short, so I never saw him. Oh. <laughs> and this is like, before Jiminy Glick, this would be the most Martin Short you could ever get. It's like taking unadulterated Martin Short straight into your veins. Uh, Connie, do you like um, Captain Run? Yes. So that 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 would be like just borderline of the amount of Martin Short is acceptable. Yeah, I probably because he has to like play the straight man there, so well, that worked out. And also, uh, Kurt Russell is such like a great uh, yeah. juxtaposition of him in that movie that he takes the load <laughs> off. But yeah. I would love to rewatch. Three Amigos sometime. Oh. Yeah, I remember liking that a lot as yep. a kid. Have you not, but I haven't have you watched not seen it, Connie, since you were young? Yeah, I haven't seen it in years. Really? Yeah. But I haven't watched that Hulu show that Steve Martin and Martin Short, so I'm like, I don't know if I can handle He's Martin Short. <laughs> they play him in such a way that his character is annoying, but everyone kind of recognizes how over the top and annoying he is. So they really utilize it. Um, and he actually has some depth. I really liked that show. It was really good. Uh, so Groden and De Niro take off from the place they get, uh, De Niro's on the phone with, uh, Joey pants again. And De Niro, (laughs) I love this moment where De Niro goes, I will shoot him and dump him in a swamp. And then he looks at Groden and just shakes his head no. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, and uh, yeah, so this is also around this time we find out that Jack's history of being undercover for a year, there was a heroin set up, and 
he likes to work alone because then there is no payroll that he has to take a part of. It's just him. Uh, we also see that pretty much every time that Jack calls Joey Pants, uh, he either tells his assistant right away or his assistant is already on the phone listening to them and he immediately goes out. So he's like, Hey, I need 500 bucks. Can you wire me the money? And Joey pants is like, yo, go wire him this money to this exact address. <laughs> and, and so <laughs> when the mobsters show up again, it's like, well, of course they did. And also that guy didn't need to be listening on the phone at all because he either asked him what happened and he just told yes. him. <laughs> or he'd already told him without even asking like you don't have to listen and uh so of course serrano's men show up again to bump off the duke and then marvin shows up again and knocks them out like just how did marvin get there i don't know how marvin figured it out <sighs> i don't know there's i like... don't know but he has a cool line when he says speak into the microphone <laughs> and holds the shotgun to the guy's face that's yes. pretty badass <laughs> Uh, this whole little sequence, this is where I was like really happy that there's an action movie in the middle of this comedy with the, the helicopter chasing everybody. Oh yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. And they were, they were so sure that the helicopter was just gone. I guess yes. it's gone. Before, before we get to this, <laughs> I have a note that says De Niro handcuffs himself to groin. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's not right <laughs> that's, like, what? who's groin oh. yeah this helicopter chase is wild uh, there's a guy on the helicopter with a giant machine gun with a scope attached to it mm -hmm. <laughs> this is madness the uh the whole thing it's they've toned down collateral damage in movies i mean there's the the famous thing of is it Bad Boys Two when they drive through the slums and like destroy <laughs> destroy all of the houses uh, was kind of the peak of that, but in this you get uh, as the Duke falls in the river and the helicopter is like hovering over and the sniper guy is about to take his shot that Jack shoots the tail rotor and the helicopter slams into the side of a cliff and explodes and he just kills two men he's a murderer now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, fine. <laughs> Groden's okay though, They're so it's first. fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love there's um, I love when a movie when something like that happens in a movie, and then you get one character who's just horrified and mm -hmm. like, do you realize what you just did? You <laughs> murdered two people. I thought uh, Groden would that would have been funny if they had done that with Groden here. Um, I told my mom I wanted to be a stuntman when I was a kid. Oh God. Because I thought being a stuntman was like a safe job and like it was all movie magic. Mm -hmm. Watching these two stuntmen go down heavy rapids. No yeah. fucking thank you. <laughs> also, when I was a kid, I didn't realize like injuries persist potentially for your entire life. And so like floating down these rapids and fucking my back up for a two second shot in this movie is not worth 25 years of pain and discomfort. Mm -hmm. So it makes me respect Stuntman. And it also, how do you, Josh, how do you feel when you hear like that actor did all of their own stunts? It's like, well, that's okay. But I'm sure like the insurance premiums were way more expensive for the movie and you're taking work away from other people by doing that. Yeah. And I think it is, it's like 
unless that's what you're trained to do. I mean, there's a couple people who, um, you know, have gone through a lot of stunt training and a lot of like wire work and stuff. Um, but even something as simple as there's some pictures going around recently of Keanu Reeves carrying some Apple boxes, uh, in between setups of the new matrix movie. And I'm like, that there's a union. You're not supposed to do that. That's not your job. We have people for that. Like that's, that's somebody's job that you're taking from them right now. And what do you mean? He's carrying Apple boxes in between the setups of the camera setups. You know what an Apple box is? That's, I guess that's the question. I'm literally picturing Keanu Reeves walking around with a crate of <laughs> apples crate on of a apples. movie set. And yeah. I'm very confused. <laughs> no, the Apple box, they come in different sizes. And I think because they were originally made from Apple boxes, they're kind of all purpose um, boxes that you use. They're And they're solid on all six sides, except for handles. You can get special ones called Joker boxes that are like tackle boxes on the inside and have connection points for you to like strap lights and stuff to. But basically they come in like pancake, half quarter and full. Um, and you'll see, you see a lot of pictures of Roger Deakins sitting on them. Uh, and I think like with his name painted on the side, but they're all they're, it's specialty film equipment. It's very impressive stuff. <laughs> you ever try an oven bake pancake apple box? Mm. <laughs> First thing in the morning, that'll hit the spot. (laughs) (laughs) But no, Um, actors shouldn't be doing their own stunts. That's ridiculous. They are a face, and if they get hurt, they could be out of a job, and that's stupid. It also kind of puts the expectations for, like, new up-and-coming directors thinking that all their actors should be able to do some stunts, and that that should not be the norm. It's... Uh, I do think of the the scene in American Movie when they try to ram the guy's head through the door. <laughs> uh, so uh, Mark punching that cabinet door, yes. making his knuckles bloody. Oh. Can we watch American Movie? It's such a good movie, isn't it? <laughs> Let's do that one again. Um, <laughs> the Duke pulls Jack out of the river if he agrees that he'll let him go. And then Jack instantly puts the cuffs back on him and says, I'll let you go once we're inside the LA County jail. Like he goes back on his word almost immediately. Uh, Groden yells at him. You're making it very hard for me to do the right thing <laughs> as he holds up the stick. Yeah. And so he can just like, this guy's so compelled to do what he thinks is the right thing. It's like his primary force mm-hmm. driving his motivation as a character. Yeah. We haven't mentioned the fact that he did steal $15 million from the mob, but he used most of mm-hmm. it to donate to charities. So yeah, yeah he Robin hooded it. Yes. Um, the next little sequence, my note is, Guys, I looked up Leonese style potatoes and they it looked delicious. They look fantastic. What, what is that? That's as they're walking through the desert, Groden is saying, um, have you ever had Leonese potatoes? It's it's like a sliced pan potato with some onions cut up in it. Uh and he's trying to tempt him, like, you know, if I I'll pay you off and I'll disappear. Um but Have it, you ever had potatoes al gratin? Oh yeah. I'm from the Midwest. Like we grew up with potatoes I, with cheese on it. Yeah. I can't eat them because my sister came down one Christmas with her husband and 
my nephew was a newborn at the time. And nephew had some flu. And it was this, like, gnarly norovirus stomach virus that, like, consumed my entire family. <laughs> I was the last one to get it. So it was Christmas Eve. Myself and my two other healthy family members went to my grandma's to have some dinner with her. We were the only healthy ones left. And as we're sitting there at dinner, I ate a big plate of potatoes al gratin. And then two minutes later, it was like, uh-oh. I think, I think the illness is upon me now. And so I just have bad, bad memories associated with potatoes au gratin. So it's like a wonderful dish, and I don't know if I'll ever eat it again. Uh, I had that with chili cheese dogs one time, but you know what? Ooh, that's a bad one to come back up. I fought my way through it, and I will eat a chili cheese dog right now if you put it in front of me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Guys, I kind of want a chili cheese dog. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> uh, the next little sequence when they're at the... It looks like the town from Tremors. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally, yeah. Uh, it, Is this when they're in Arizona? They're supposed to be like yeah, Arizona, so. like, but probably northern Arizona. Yep. Uh, and I did have a Tom Cruise note here. Because the Duke sees a, a biplane and tries to fly it away, and Jack holds on to the side of the plane and is like smacking at him, trying to get him to put the plane back down as it is hopping yep. through the desert. I really thought we were going to fly this thing to Los Angeles. Yes. <laughs> there was a point here where I paused the movie uh, to go and yell at one of my cats. And I was like, there's an hour left of this. I was amazed because I'm like, this seems like it's wrapping up, but there's an hour really? left. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my notes are wrapping up. <laughs> I think there's not a lot of movie, but it was somewhere in here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's just a lot of action yes. scenes towards the end. I did like um, where the Duke was, was giving him a hard time for taking the truck from those guys and saying, you have to give him something mm-hmm. like pay him something. And uh, and then he's like, well, you just took that plane. You had no problem taking the <laughs> <Yes>. plane. <laughs> I did, that was great, though. That's like, again, Josh, like you said, like the lack of collateral damage that we're kind of moving away from. And in this scene, you would expect them to just grab the truck and go. Mm-hmm. But they stopped to trade uh, yeah. the watch, <laughs> the watch for the truck. And there's once again, this running gag of Jack's watch not working. And we discover that his wife gave it to him like on their first anniversary or something or an early present when they were together because he was always late. Um, Is he is he checking it to see if it's running? It seems like he's winding it, but it's it never works. He keeps keeps listening to it. But yeah, yeah. Like maybe it was like slowly dying. And so then he got into that habit of checking it and it hasn't actually. Yeah, but he takes the Duke's watch and trades it for the for the car or for the truck. Uh, and then one of my favorite little sequences is when the Duke pulls this con on the barkeep in the local tavern with the, at the town they end up on uh, about the Grun's fake money. so good in this scene. Yes. <laughs> when Grun's eyeballing every single bar patron there and he has the collar popped up. Oh, he's so good in this. Yeah, this is a great scene. <laughs> he's telling them that they're fake bills and... 
orders De Niro to go and inspect them. And he's like, do the litmus configuration on it. <laughs> You're doing that right? Yes, yes I am. I'm doing the litmus configuration. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this, this one's bad. Oh, <laughs> uh, these are all bad. <laughs> The movie really, this is where we're really starting to get into that like beautiful last act of planes, trains, and automobiles now, Mm -hmm. where these guys are now just like, they're starting to get real chummy. And it starts like my heart's starting to get warmed by this movie from this point on. Like when they're on the train after this and they're, they're just laughing like, you know, we, if we'd met differently or if we had met earlier, we'd probably still hate each other. (laughs) But in the next life, maybe we could be friends. And that was like yeah. a beautiful little line. And it reminded me of Penelope Cruz in Vanilla Sky where she says, I'll tell you in the next life when we are both cats. Which is a ridiculous <laughs> line, but I still like it. The I like the fact that they're having a little bit of a spat. And Jack says he's never going to talk to the Duke again. And the Duke's way of cracking the ice is to say, "Hey." You're a fucking animal. <laughs> oh yeah. Let's talk about this chicken. Those, those chickens back on the reservation. There, there were some good-looking chickens there, right? And he's like, "Hey, eh, you know, if pressed, maybe." And I'm like, "It's such a dude thing to like, kind of crack the facade that he had up and actually get to the heart of him." I loved. It, it was very sweet and yeah, just great. It, and now that you've admitted that, tell me about Chicago. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you already told me about the chicken thing. Uh, and here's where I, there's not it's not plotty feeling, but it's a lot of incident because the FBI and the other bounty hunter both catch wind of where they're going to go. And then the guys hop off like right ahead of them and steal another truck. And. This reminded me, I just watched Badlands, which is an entirely different movie, but has a very similar chase at the end where they're like on this one stretch of road and there's no going anywhere. You can't get anywhere. There's no like left or right road. It's just a huge stretch of road, except for in this one, they decide decide to go off-roading and during the whole sequence, like it's these reaction shots of De Niro swerving back and forth. And I'm like, that's kind of, it's cheesy because, you know, he's not actually the one doing the driving and you can kind of tell the mismatch. But Groden is serving great face reactions the whole time. Like his like sneering and then horrified. I was like, this guy, geez. This this car chase is so much fun. And it's so Blues Brothers. Mm -hmm. Just wanton destruction of so many cars. And I loved... It You know, this could be the kind of thing where it's like, they did this at multiple locations or whatever, and a bunch of close-up shots, but the helicopter shot that shows the aftermath, mm-hmm. and you see all of the cop cars strewn across, like, a couple hundred <laughs> yards, and it's like, oh shit, so this this gives, like, such a feeling of reality. Yes. Like, this all happened on this one little stretch of off-road. It's so fun. <laughs> And Josh, who was in Badlands and who directed it? Because I remember something about that movie intriguing me, but I know nothing about it. Badlands, uh, Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek are the stars. It's the the fictionalized story of um, Charles Starkweather murders, uh, where he went. Oh, and... it's like spree killing. Yes, but it's mm. it's very artfully done, um, and it's by Terrence it... Malick. 
Oh, the, the Terrence Malick connection. Yes. So, you know what movie I don't like is um, Natural Born Killers. Yes. Natural Born Killers is just, it's like, it's so, like that 90s cheap style where it's just like, oh, we discovered computer filters. So now you can just put like an orange filter on things and, oh, look at this green shot. <laughs> I don't know. Is, uh, it's not like it tries to be shocking for shocking sake, and I'm like, I'm bored. Yeah. Also, Juliette Lewis unsettles me. <laughs> just something about her nature I just find uncomfortable. Uh, have you seen the new show that she's in, Yellow Jackets? No, I have it on my I, 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 to-watch list, but I haven't. Okay. I was, in, I was interested by, it looks like there's some cool masks masks on that show maybe yes like all i know is a promotional image yes but juliette lewis very much is playing like when she steps on you're like oh this is who i imagine juliette lewis to be there's no she doesn't have to have a big like actorly facade you're like she's kind of rough and tumble and a little badass and a little scary and she performed with her band on craig ferguson's show Mm -hmm. years ago and i remember being like yeah that that was weird. That's what I would expect from a Juliet Lewis-led band. <laughs> yeah, it feels it's like, right. It's like two steps away from Yoko Ono. Just not quite that bizarre. <laughs> wow. But definitely bizarre. <laughs> Weren't they just like a post-punk band? I don't know. I might be exaggerating. <laughs> I don't really remember. Yeah, there's like a rock band. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> oh, man. Um. Um. Oh. When at some point Marvin is Marvin hits Jack with the car door as he's like speeds past him. Yeah, that's awesome. That that kicked ass. <laughs> Just nailing someone with your door as you drive by him. Yeah, the that's Marvin's move because he does it right in the beginning to catch the initial guy that they're going after. Um, and when Jack is like writhing on the ground, I think I would stay down there for longer. First of all, like he gets up as soon as they pull Mm -hmm. away. Uh, But Marvin takes the Duke and takes off. And that's when Jack stumbles into the diner. Like, and I love he's just beat to shit. It's like he's Mm -hmm. dirty and gross and been wearing the same clothes for this entire movie. Uh, And for For yes, (laughs) and for some reason, this diner has a door on either end. And the FBI guys walk in the other door <laughs> and throw the sunglasses to him. I was like, Do you know who the waiter is at the diner? That's he was one of those other character actors that I was like, I know I've seen this guy like in Seinfeld. Or I, I wish I had jotted his name down or something because uh, it's just the diner. The waiter looks so familiar. Yeah. And I have no idea. This movie has like 10 character actors in it. It's wild how stacked it is. Yes, that is Tracy Walter. Tracy. Who was in Batman, Repo Man. Oh, Repo Man. I remember him from Repo Man. He was in City Slickers. Yes. Oh, and oh, wait, you said City Slickers. Hold on. He was Cookie. That, yeah. Yeah, he was Cookie. I <laughs> liked City Slickers a lot when I was a kid. I Yeah, I didn't look him up, but I also recognized him in that scene. I was like, I've seen this guy in a million things. I don't know <laughs> if City Slickers would hold up for me as an adult. But as a mm. kid, I liked it a lot. 
I like to think that yeah, it Billy works. Crystal's another one of those that I'm like, mm, I know that Billy, Billy Crystal, Crystal. <laughs> that Billy Crystal sense of humor is like, uh, I, I, I thought like when he hosted the Oscar and I was a kid, I thought he was really funny. But now looking mm-hmm. back on like, he's just like painting his face like Braveheart and making lame jokes that aren't very clever. <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah. But I mean, did, did he do blackface for the Oscars one year? Uh, I I don't think it was for the Oscars, but yes, there is a. I don't, I don't know if it was technically blackface or brownface. I I but it's yeah a, I don't know it's a thing. It wouldn't surprise yes. me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, <laughs> I I don't know. They call someone's on the phone with Joey Pants. <laughs> Joey Pants goes. Everyone is yelling at me to fuck myself. <laughs> I thought that was just a wonderful line read by a wonderful actor. Uh, Marvin is negotiating with the the mobsters because yeah. Marvin Marvin kidnaps um, Groden and he has a proof of life and he wants two million dollars. Okay, this got all complicated at the end with the whole airport and these all these side deals and. There's a lot going on. Towards the end of this movie. <laughs> yeah, because Marvin has his own deal. Jack sets up with the mobsters to trade some bogus floppy disks with evidence on them for the Duke. If the FBI will let him take the Duke back and get his reward is the plan. There's a lot of wheeling and dealing. Yes, but it's mm-hmm. like within like a three minute section when he makes those phone calls. It's like, wait, what the hell is happening? and but okay. it kind of doesn't matter because it all shakes out in the little action. Uh, but I thought the the editing of the handoff scene was really good because I was like, I'm not quite sure what's happening, but I'm tense. I'm like into this yeah, right there's now. There's good tension of the what was the the walkie talkie or something breaks down and then yeah. they have no audio and you see the guys approaching from the back and yeah, it, it, there's I think four four different groups of people in this scene mm-hmm. that we're keeping track of and the editing across them and the movement, it, it, it is pretty tense. Yeah. And, uh, of course, Marvin, who has already been knocked out by the mobsters shows up at the exchange, just happenstance to throw a wrench into everything, mm-hmm. but everything winds up working out. Uh, I did think I've got a note here. Yafet Kodo is like, his performance and all he's doing is standing there. Like there's nothing Mm -hmm. big going on, but he's supposed to be listening in on the wire. And he's like, this is going to give me a heart attack. I swear I'm going to get a heart attack before this is all over. (laughs) And then when he finally catches Serrano, he is so happy and his hands are shaking. You see that he takes the the discs from him, this evidence that he is supposed to have stolen. And like, he's just got this glimmer in his eye and his hands are kind of quivering. I'm like, Oh, he's been wanting this for so long. It's pure bliss. (laughs) Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, so he holds up and lets Groden go with Jack. Mm-hmm. Holds up his part of the deal. Um, and they take off. How do they? What do they do? Get in a car at this point? I don't remember. No, they fly. No, they go to uh, call. Oh yeah. Uh, well, they go to. Um, don't they call Joey Pants at that point? Well, they fly back to L.A. because he gets him. His oh, whole goal right. is to get him to L.A. before midnight. Oh. Uh, we we, we often forget to talk about 
just the, the titles <laughs> of movies. <laughs> and so like we talked about eight and a half for an hour and a half. And then after our episode, I was like, wait, so Josh, why is the movie called eight and a half? <laughs> so, uh, they did mention Midnight Run at the beginning because they said this whole entire thing is a Midnight yes. Run. I know, but that's like, <laughs> they present it like that's just a thing that the audience should know. Like, oh, it's just your classic Midnight Run scenario. You know. I just figured that's some kind of bounty hunter term that I understand, but they said that's what it was, so that's what it means. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they land back in L.A., and Jack gets on the phone to Joey Pants and tells him to fuck off because he's going to let the Duke go. He's had a change of heart. Yay. Yeah. He was won over. Uh, this is, yeah, this is the real part where it's just like oh this is classic De Niro when De Niro goes you son of a bitch you son of a bitch and he has that like De Niro squint with the glimmer in his eye and these two guys are just like fully bonded now and like completely locked in their friendship and it just the end of this movie just feels so good Mm -hmm. and then when Groden gives him the gift and he's been carrying a waist belt. And he said earlier that, like, he has money. Yes. There was, like, a little red herring earlier. But he's carrying around $1,000 bills? Yeah. Oh. I, yeah. Those exist? Yeah, how much did he say that he had, he had on him But $1,000 bills exist. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, they do. That's a real thing. That is a thing. I don't know. We'll have to ask our rich friends. I don't know. I have two. I have two dollar <laughs> bills. No thousands, though. I I think that there's uh they don't they're not in circulation anymore. But yeah, they that's a thing that happened. Mm. <laughs> and you know they depart. See you in the next life, and then Groden does the classic Captain Ron disappearing act. Where a character looks away, looks back, and he's gone. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I thought these guys were re- going to run a coffee shop together at the end of this movie. That was what I was hoping for. So you, you <laughs> th- probably that would probably be way too corny. Because that, that was wasn't that De Niro's dream to have yes. a, a little cafe coffee shop. So I just wanted to see like. <laughs> De Niro serving costi- coffee and Groden roasting the beans in the back of the shop at the end. <laughs> the uh, the line earlier that um, De Niro has an ulcer and Groden is like, no wonder you have an ulcer. Your only two modes of uh, emotional output are silence and rage. <laughs> yep. <laughs> also, when he's giving him accountant advice and he's like, I know I'm not your accountant, but if I were your accountant, I would say that a restaurant's a terrible, <laughs> terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is a fun one. This was... I really enjoyed this. You know, watching Strange Brew, I really wasn't sure how to pair a movie. It was Strange Brew, to be honest with you. But, um... So, yeah, asking Josh, you know, what buddy movies? What are the buddy movies? I think that's really the quintessential theme of both of these it's just two two friends going through life and having antics and adventures and stuff um so josh i think that was a great poll midnight run is the second movie good i was 
I was concerned um, because I hadn't seen it for it's there's always a danger with these that they are horribly racist. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, yeah, I hadn't seen it since like it like I, I watched it like a few times when it came out, I think probably on cable yeah, when yeah. I watched it with my family, I'm guessing. And but it had been so long and I was like, I have no idea if this holds up at all. If there's anything problematic. About yeah. it. Um, or like, is there an intentional or unintentional gay subtext that is mocked throughout the movie? And no, it's dudes mm-hmm. being bros, uh, which is totally fine. Uh, I am surprised that it, it never once had any like homophobic panic yeah. kind of moments between them at all. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like um, Dennis Farina would have yelled at some of his underlings, some slurs or mm. something, but he, call, he just calls yeah. them morons the whole time. Yep, that yeah. was nice. It was nice. <laughs> uh, there are a lot of fucks in this movie, though. It's if there are, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I think after watching American movie, my brain just stopped counting fucks. <laughs> um, well, that was Midnight Run. So, Josh, how would you rate that movie? Um. I think that I had it at three and a half. I'm wavering between three and a half and four stars on the old letterbox. Um, because give it the bump. I think give it the bump, bump it up to a four after revisiting some of the Groden stuff, uh, after his passing last year, I guess it was or earlier this year. Uh, Oh, that was earlier this year. I did not know that. Yes. Oh, that's sad. And Yafet Kodo recently too. Yep. Um, that he really was just this very like he always plays this he's kind of an asshole but he's also kind of charming and he's nebbishy the whole time and he's what (laughs) what'd you say he's he's nebbishy the fuck is that Um, I think the 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 quintessential nebbish character would be Woody Allen in anything. Is that right, Connie? Spell it. N-E-B-B-I-S-H. You're making that up. It's a real thing. It's a real word. <laughs> mm, I don't believe either of you. It's it's like a like a really timid guy. Like a really I've never seen a Woody Allen movie. I mean, that's probably okay. Well, yeah. That's fine. <laughs> the, You'll yeah. be fine. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's kind of a guy who's a little bit of a scaredy cat, kind of a um, milk toast. Can I? <laughs> okay. Can I use one word, to, one big word to define Plain another bagel word? is my preferred. Yes. Uh, but yeah, okay. So four stars. Yay! I too give it four stars because I had a great time watching this and the charisma between the two leads was great. So many character actors. I really liked it. Connie, what do you think? Yeah, I also uh, give it four stars. Yeah, a lot of like, I don't remember most of the people that were in this. So when the credits were coming up, I was getting big joy about seeing all the names in it and that I'd forgotten that were in here because it's mostly what I remembered about this was just De Niro and Grodin and I love Grodin so it's mostly yeah when, <laughs> so when, when the credits four stars when the credits with De Niro Grodin Kodo Farina 
Pantaleon. It's like oh, every time I was like, "What more?" <laughs> like just like this, like build was just like, "Oh my god, this movie has everyone!" I'm so excited. Yeah, I think it was just um, it could have been shorter. Mm-hmm. So there were there were parts that I was like, "Okay, it is going on a, a little long here in the middle," but yeah, it's for, overall though, it was good good mix of action and character for sure. Yeah, I think um, it doesn't quite feel it's over two hours. Which, yeah, I don't know exactly what I would cut, but at at like ninety or a hundred minutes, I think this thing would fly by, and mm-hmm. you'd feel great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to, I do have to say, I'm also constantly in awe at the fact that they made uh, three <laughs> sequels to this. Three, like, <laughs> sorry, moose. What did what did what, what did just do? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, he sees the dog next door. Stop it. <laughs> he's been out of this room for most of the time, but he joined right now. <laughs> he's been a very good boy. Uh, yeah, they did three sequels to this with different people playing Jack. What? Yeah. There's sequels to this? Yes. They, they did. Um, wow. I think they were TV movies made in the mid 90s for like the. Um, the action block on one of the stations and yeah. And they feature Christopher McDonald, uh, as Jack. I think he plays in all three of them, which is another midnight run, midnight run around and midnight run for your life. Never heard of them. No, (laughs) you said there were TV movies. Yeah. A few years ago I was at Eli's and I was like, Oh, I want to watch midnight run. And he pulls out this DVD four pack. That's got all four movies. And he's like, do you want to watch all of them? And I was like, hell no. What is this? What is happening? (laughs) God, no. One is enough. (laughs) Oh, wow. Well, Connie, thank you so much for joining us on the episode. That was really, really fun. Uh, Do you have anything that you want to plug or a movie that you think people should watch or an album or a band that people need to check out? Anything like that. I am not prepared. I don't have anything. To All right. Well, <laughs> while, while you maybe think about it, I'm going to tell everyone that they should definitely, definitely watch the documentary from 2019 called Apollo 11. It's all footage just of the moon landing from the, the planning of the mission through the fruition of it. There's zero talking heads. All of the audio is source audio from that time. The, the score was made with a synthesizer from like the seventies. It's, it's an incredible undertaking and it's one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. So Apollo 11, it will, I think blow your mind and really give you an appreciation for just how insane those astronauts were at that time. That's a really good recommendation and very eloquently put. And all I got is, guys, don't watch Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Star Wars is like the opposite of Apollo. 11. Yes. It's, it, first of all, I don't know if you know this. In Star Wars, none of that shit happened. <laughs> Wait. But what? I thought it a long time ago. In a galaxy far, far away. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Why couldn't it just be a galaxy far away? It doesn't have the same ring to it. You, you, I know. Yeah, you have to be far, far. Is distance in space even <laughs> relative? Like it, 
space is so big that like far away versus far far away it's like dividing infinity by two it's still infinity (laughs) it's like the uh the beginning of american pie when he says a long long time ago (laughs) what why do you have that memorized (laughs) do you not have don mclean's classic Anthem American Pie oh, memorized? Oh, God, I thought you were talking in the movie. No. <laughs> <laughs> was, like, what? was there like a big intro scene to American Pie that I don't remember? Where it's like all wise and prophetic? Nah, I don't remember a damn thing about American Pie except the guy fucked a pie. <laughs> I remember two things from American Pie. Boobs. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> I do. Uh, when... Part three maybe came out. I don't know how many there are. One of the sequels came out. I was uh, working at a movie theater. And so you wind up seeing movies over and over again. And all I remember is uh, I think Jason Biggs glues his hand to his junk at one point and then is on the roof and the police show up. I think it's a whole it's a whole thing. I believe you're right. I also remember Jason Biggs. Yeah. Shaving his pubes and then dumping them out the window instead of just i don't know putting them anywhere else and then they land <laughs> on someone i'm glad america well i'm not glad that we don't make comedies at all but i'm glad that we're not making just straight raunchy comedies because that was like there was a time and a place for there's something about mary and the the Fairley brothers and it was in the late 90s yes and there's it- no there's no room for the Fairley brothers anymore not in my world. And it can stay there for as long as, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Do you concerned. remember that movie, Stuck on You? I saw that shit in theaters with Matt Damon and Greg Kinnear mm-hmm. playing conjoined twins. That was like, I feel like that movie was two hours and 20 minutes long. <laughs> it was like one of the longest theatrical experiences of my life. It's like Lawrence of Arabia, but with fart jokes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a note to end on. Yep. Well, Sean, say the thing. Uh, <clears throat> um, how do I start it? <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, well, that'll do it for another episode of Nashville CA. For Josh, for Sean, for Connie, thank you for listening. Take care of yourselves. Take care of your neighbors. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.